0: This is Pam Electric Ghost to have a uh, space adaptation syndrome on, right? Yes, sir. Hey, okay. we got the whole band or just a couple of you guys?
1: Uh, I think right now it's, I, I'm I'm here. Awesome.
0: Okay, like, I think we have a Mary and we have Connor. Awesome. Is that everybody today? Yeah, that's everybody for today. Yep. Okay, cool. So yeah, I saw that you guys. Uh, this is our just to let everybody know I'm Fam Electric Ghost and we interview. Andy Ars from around, around the world. We talked to you guys earlier this year and um, you guys have a brand new single out, Pale Horses, and we're talking to you again.
1: Awesome. and <laughs> We're looking forward to it. Yeah,
0: so you guys are continuing the, the sound that we talked about before where you've got this kind of hybrid experimental rock, hip-hop type of progressive sound. You can hear like King Crimson. You can hear like Tangerine Dream, and I hear a little Wilco, Radiohead, and then hip hop influences as well. So it's really cool to see you guys doing that because that's kind of my my vibe is really progressive um, electronic, but I I like hip hop too. So I think it's cool to merge things
1: together. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's just about, you know, colliding different worlds and um, just just seeing how things kind of melt together. And, um, you know, but it's funny. Because uh, a large part of the reason why, uh, like, we started working together was uh, mainly more out of necessity for me as, like, um, uh, like someone that writes, like, chord voicing. Because um, I had a hard time finding a vocalist that was able to um, match with harmonically. So, That's interesting. So, so the kind of spoken word worked better with what you were doing. Exactly. You know, because for me, I was, I'm, I'm really listen to a lot of jazz and a lot of my harmonic choices come from jazz and you know when you're you know working with a vocalist um it's, it's hard to get them on the same page with those harmonies so with him but like you're saying about the spoken word aspect um you know it's the, the, the rhythm so that gives me a lot more freedom as you know a, a harmonic player you know player. So it was really a thing of necessity you know so it's is a practical, is like a practical thing more than anything else.
0: Yeah. I think maybe one of you attorneys your turn your phone down a little bit. It's feeding back a little bit. Somebody is, or your know, speaker or something feeding a little bit back. Okay. But, um, um, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's something I've been interested in ever since I, I, I dug the Velvets, right. And, and, and the Velvet Underground, you had like Nico, you know, she's a model and she's doing this kind of spoken word and Lou Reed. That's what he does. Um, And that always kind of drove me. It's like the Velvet Underground was like my, you know, my prototype. (laughs) It's like everything I do was kind of coming from that kind of punk, pre-punk idea of that doing that and then mixing it with stuff like, you know, Sun Ra, Um, taking Sun Ra kind of ideas and then then mixing it with like a punk aesthetic or a pre-punk aesthetic, I think is, is a cool thing to do. So. Yeah, anybody that's doing that kind of hybrid work, I, I love talking to.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, and and it's interesting to bring up like uh, you know Velvet Underground, and you know for me that's the thing I've always been very big into like um, like art rock and stuff like that because I, I I think of albums more like uh like it's like a like um it's a it's an audio movie more than anything else, and I think you know Velvet Underground was really one of those groups that really you know pioneered. And that that concept, especially, you know, with you know, Velvet Underground the the one with the banana on the cover and um... yeah, yeah,
0: Well Warhol, the whole idea when they first started, it it was a total art show. I mean when you went to go see them, you had Andy Warhol, you know, from the factory in New York and they had all this art. They had models, they had actors, they had like weird psychedelic things going on behind them on screens. And it just was this whole kind of happening. And it was kind of pre-MTV, but post, like, help. And, hey, take, take an idea that you can mix media, you know, and, and have this kind of really art exposition. I think, I think that's what, we you know, early MTV has taken a lot of that. You know, the early MTV took a lot of those kind of ideas and tried to expand on that. But, um, you know, YouTube today with all the bands, whether you can do on social media, you can do that again, you know, which is cool.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring up the multimedia because um, I know a lot of uh, or some bands and something I, I've been interested in is uh, possibly the idea of making like an alternate reality game uh, around like a group, like another band, Death Grips um, yeah, yeah. They did that for promoting one of their albums, and I think that that's something that the band should like look into. I mean, it's basically where you create all this media. The surrounding like your, your album that you're trying to promote, you create these like little rabbit holes, and it gets people that are you're you know pitching the album to your target audience to um create this interactive way to get them involved, you know.
0: Yeah, I've been very you know, if you look at my Instagram, you can see I do a lot of weird visuals, and um, I've been trying to integrate that into my live performance. I'm like investing in like a green screen and some new video equipment, uh, since I can't go on the road. And my idea for twenty twenty was I was going to go on the road with this kind of like video thing going on behind me when I do play, you know I was going to have a video screen and have all my the art that I put up on Instagram kind of going on behind the song, and I do pretty much a video for every song I do and and now i 'm going to try to do that like live when I go on Twitch or Facebook live or any of the instagram live i'm i 'm working on setting up multiple camera angles and stuff like that but um Yeah, I think that, you know, anytime you can, you can integrate into a video game or something, you know, that, or even social media, uh, because the the video game area is is interesting because uh, as an electronic musician, that's one of the places that we can go, you know, to sell our work, you know, we can actually get, you know, behind working with, you know, independent film people, indie video game companies looking for audio content to go with their work, you know, and it's a good place to kind of fit. If you're doing stuff that's kind of trippy or psychedelic or has a theme, it can fit into some 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 of these games and some of these ideas out
1: there, yeah, golden Age I think like to a degree you know, and um I think that's definitely like a great opportunity for indie artists to like really look into it's something I've kinda like looked into more over the past um uh, you know uh uh years so it's just understanding like what kind of music library I can get my myself to what music supervisors for video games and, and TV shows. Cause, um, you know, especially nowadays with COVID, you know, and like you said, there's not really a way to get on the road, you know, how, how are we going to make money as musicians? It's through, you know, pitching, trying to get, you know, the sinks in, trying to get, that, to get the mailbox money, um, through, you know, getting our stuff streamed. Um, Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, I think I I signed up with a bunch of groups. I'm in this UK group called Music Gateway and they pretty much, they run pitches all the time and um, you get pitched to labels for short distribution deals. You get pitched to work on collabs. You get pitched to work on film and movies and TV. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I got like two pitches last year from them. And I was able to put out a record for, like, an EP I put out. And we had, like, uh, I don't know, we had, like, 35,000 plays on a, on an EP we put out. Um, we're hoping to hit almost 50 in a couple months. But, uh, yeah, you never know. Like, you can get, like, because I'm independent, I, I might do a release with a small label for just a one project. Or I'll go work on something for, like, another. And I, I'm not tied to any one thing. It's like, okay, well, I do so much work, I can put something out here, and I don't really... I'll see if it works. If it works, then I'll stay with them. If it doesn't, I go somewhere else. <laughs>
1: you know, Not that's the cool thing
0: about being indie. <laughs> you do what you want.
1: Yeah, no, and I, I think that that approach, you know, we're basically, you're, you know, you're 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 seeing what works, what doesn't work. I think it's you know very necessary, especially um, nowadays. But yeah, you know, I also want to kind of comment on on your workflow as someone that's a fan of your work and. I don't know. Like, I just find it very inspiring. Like the the amount of output you do, and it's it's always like such high quality stuff. You know, just, like the way you you bring in the visuals. The you know, and, and I love your music. I think I've mentioned this. In the first one that reminds me a lot of um, uh, bands like um, uh, like uh, Throbbing Gristle. It reminds me a little of Throbbing, Throbbing Gristle, uh, TV, mm-hmm. and um, there's this other like kind of like the industrial band that I, I listen to. Uh, with the, Nurse with the Wound. It reminds me a little bit of Nurse with the Wound as well.
0: You know? That's interesting because I kind of, I, I've been very, I was very inspired by um, Ian Curtis and Joy Division. Yeah. Like, Joy Division was, like, my first entry into New Wave. Like, like when I, I'm in my 50s, I think I totally get it before. But, like, when MTV first showed up, one of the first videos was, like, Love Tear Us Apart, right, from Joy Division. Yeah. And it was, like, you know, the guy, the guy was dead by the time the video came on. But, but... But that, that that sound was like the first sound. That song is like, you know, being there when it happened. You know, later, The Cure d- does that, you know, even New Order, the same band does that type of sound. But that's the first time you hear something like that. And the way the synths are and the beat, it's this new romantic, the early new wave it, before, before Depeche Mode, before any of those bands suddenly you had had this sound and I was like, wow. And that's totally different than what the Clash did. It's not what sex festivals did. It's not what the Ramones were doing. It's not what television was doing, but it was like, that was very inspiring. It was very sparse and, and, and kind of brooding. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is my vibe. I like that. (laughs) And and I kind of been stuck in that zone for a
1: while. (laughs) Well, It's interesting how, you know, Joy Division uh, was a huge influence on, um, when me and Amari did our first project uh, which is with a side project we have called Profe fool um, it, uh, it's a it's an album called fever dream and uh, that was our biggest influence was uh, actually unknown pleasures and, and joy division yeah. I think for me that that time the post punk time period when basically what happened was like the punk guys started listening to prog. because that that's basically yeah. kind of what yeah. happened is you had guys yeah. like you know even um uh, I forgot the singer from the Sex Pistols when he started, you know, Public yeah. Image, you know, Limited.
0: Johnny Lydon, yeah. Yeah. Lydon, yeah. Yeah,
1: you know, basically, I mean, yeah. that band is a prog band. Yeah, that's so awesome.
0: Yeah, Public Image Limited. I, I had, like, Metal Box, which was, like, their, one of their first records. Yeah. And it's a big metal box. If you bought it on vinyl, he came in a box.
2: <laughs>
0: and he had all this vinyl. And it's all these, like, new wave experiments. And he's like, wow, I didn't know Johnny was into that. Because, you know, the first thing I have heard of him, he's in the sex pistol. And then suddenly Pell comes. I'm like, what's this? And it's like some guys who were punk were like, what the hell is that? That's not what I want. But I thought it was cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it was different. He's like, it was showing he was willing to go somewhere else. And I said, wow, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, no, and, and I love it because there are still... It's interesting because it's basically like the experimentation of Prague without... I guess like a lot of the, the excess, you know, like when I think of like post punk bands like like Joy Division or um, um or like Talking Heads like Talking Heads before like speaking in yeah. tongues like when they were doing Remain Light.
2: yeah
0: really that's that that stuff was very progressive I mean it was very experimental yeah you know mind me of the Velvets you know and 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 the videos were like Warhol like you know and I'm like wow that's totally what I'm into. <laughs> so so I was like when I saw the Talking Heads I mean they had been at CBGB's with all the other bands but they were doing something totally different but a lot of those bands at CBGB's they weren't all the same I mean, the Ramones and Talking Heads are very divergent I mean it's not the same at all um, and uh, you know it's just interesting seeing what what was coming out of there uh, it was really vibrant you know I like that kind of scene where you could have bands as different as you know Blondie CB you know the Ramones, Talking Heads, you uh, know, he just, he just had all this stuff that was like, wow, these people are just doing what they want, and it's really high quality, you know, and that's kind of always inspired me, because I just have a home studio, you know, I, I'm in my home studio, and I'm like, I'm, I'm with this, if you have a Moog, if you have a really good Roland, if you have these hardware synths like I have, and, and you know how to write, it was like, why not? So, it, so he's like, I was like I have I have invested in all this gear, and I've got these ideas. So I'm gonna put them down, and pretty much I put them down. Like every day, I put something down, and it happens that yeah. After after you get like 50 years old, and you're a musician. You hope that you do you you got good. You know you you hope you kind of built an idea of what you want to do, and you get good at it because you've just been doing it so long. It's kind of like a jazz musician or a blues musician, you've just been in that groove that you tend to put out pretty decent stuff because that's where your head's at.
2: Yeah, you know?
0: <laughs> you know, and just say to every band, like the more you practice, the more you perfect what you want to do in your sound. You tend to go, you know, you listen to Coltrane, you listen to Sun Ra, there's a lot of content, there's a lot of stuff because they didn't, they never stopped and kept on going, you know.
1: Yeah, it's kind of my like philosophy. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, and, and it's interesting to bring up you know Coltrane because um, you're saying they talking about never stopped, and it's interesting when you look at the j- development of um, of jazz musicians, and especially like he's like the perfect example of it. Um, just the way it, it basically went from uh, um, for his case, it went from a couple chords to a lot of chords with when he got into bebop to yeah. Bebop's
0: awesome. If I oh, yeah.
1: It's it's crazy stuff. Then to chords, it had different sounds to him because he got into modal jazz. And then it went to no chords when he got into avant garde. Well, no, it went to like one chord basically when he got into avant garde modal jazz. And yeah. then it went to no chords when he finally went to free jazz. And then that was it because, you know, he, he died in, I think, 68. You know?
0: Yeah. But the free jazz stuff, like everybody was into it. I mean, my house got into it. Sunrise was into it. You know, they, they, they heard what he was doing. And, you know, Sun Ra was kind of parallel doing stuff. Like, I'm very deep into Sun Ra now. I've been getting into, like, Jazz and Silhouette and, you know, Space and the Plays and Atlantis. And they, they, they're, like, the unsung, you know, jazz band. Because they, they, they're, like, Jazz and Silhouette is, like, a Bob masterpiece. And then, you know, you get to to all these other things they did, you know, like like uh, like I say Atlantis, and space is a place, I mean, space is a place of like fusion, you know, yes. it, it's like really out there. Um, but they would go all these different directions. So it's like Afro jazz, Afro concentric, you know, space kind of like a, a spaced kind of um, like funkadelic vision of jazz. Yes.
1: Yeah. And, and, and it very much was that.
0: Uh, yeah. That stuff is just, I, I just, a lot of people like when they hear me, they can pick up the fact that I love Sun Ra and they, they can sometimes pick up some of the stuff I'm pulling from them. Um, and, I, and I always like it when somebody actually recognizes that, because like, I think they're the most unsung unit ever. And they, I'm always trying to give them praise. They would tell people like, listen to as much Sunrise as you can.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. And well, his level of, you know, how prolific he was, and it was his band too, man. And, and like you said, you talked about, there was a, there was a vision. There's an aesthetic there that, you know, like you, you talk about Funkadelic, you know, you really look at George Clinton, you realize, oh, a lot of that really came from Sun Rock,
0: you know. Yeah, I mean, the whole look is Sun Ra. Like, I kind of, people didn't understand what Sun Rock was doing when they came out there dressed up like space guys. Yeah, you know, and, it, and they kind of, re, you know, they were such a good band, but they really hurt them because when they came out there dressed like that and they're doing that great music, people were like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, you know, you're, you're supposed to dress like Miles Davis Blue. You know, you're supposed to just be in a gray suit. Yeah, and 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 they didn't understand what they were doing, and but George like picked up on it and happened to be, but in the seventies that look worked, you know, because the Earth Wind and Fire did it, they did it, it worked. He's like Sunbar was ahead of his time with that look.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, well, it, it's interesting how sometimes it happens. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting how that happens in music. How you'll get one one person does something, um, and they're they're a little bit more abstract they're they're not understood and then you know like 10 years later five years later someone comes out and they in a way they refine it and there's something kind of uh like Shakespearean about that you know it's just interesting how that how that kind of happens you know throughout throughout the history of music and there's a beauty to it there's kind of something a little tragic about it too because it's like well you know yeah this guy's doing it and they're doing it well but this guy was kind of the first guy to do it you know
0: Yeah, it's like a lot of people in music, you know, everybody builds on everybody. And it's interesting, like, the cool thing that I found interesting is, like, I love Dylan and the band, right? But the first time they tried to do electric, they got booed and they were called Judas and everybody's yelling at them. But then by the time you get to, like, the Rolling Thunder review in 74, 75, what they did in 68 suddenly was validated. Because then you had hundreds of thousands of people that, that appreciated it. But when they first did it, people were calling him Judas and yelling at him and screaming and telling him it's crap. And it's like, you know, they, they just believed it. You know, Dylan and the band, they, they believed in that style. They, you know, they did it at Big Pink. They did it on, you know, Blonde on Blonde. They kept on refining it till, till you know, the Rolling Thunder was the full vision of that live. You know, if you ever listen to that Rolling Thunder stuff, it's like unbelievable. You know, with like the viol- electric violins and like the full power of the band at their peak, you know, doing the vision and those sound, that sound. And it wasn't understood in 68 or 69, but it finally gets understood later,
2: you know.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting um, because I noticed like whenever, like you bring up Dylan, it was very similar with Miles Davis too, when he went electric, because people, and you even mentioned this, they're used to kind of blue, they're used to second quintet, where you know, acoustic instruments, and he went electric. The music really, basically, you know, because you know when he shifted from what was it like Miles Smiles to basically like Bitches yeah. Brew era, it was not a huge yeah, shift yeah, musically with what he was doing. It was still the same, like basically, it was it was an elevated form of like modal jazz where he had all the modes, and it was it was basically a mixture of modal jazz, and free jazz. It was the aesthetic yeah, yeah. changed, you know? And it's 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 interesting how people kind of um. When 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 a big artist does that, it's normally like they revolt again against it. But when someone that's not really too known does it, they're not meant with being revolted against. They're meant more with like this weird like thing of like being looked at like they're like an alien, almost. You know what I mean? And like this, artist, yeah. you know.
0: It's interesting because like you always you know, like I I always love these unsung bands. You know, I'm always going on. You know, I talk about the Velvets, but my other, my, the biggest un, unsung band that I'm really into that everybody knows is like Alex Chilton's Big Star. You know, and 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 Big Star, you know, he, you know Alex Chilton was a teen star. You know, he had been in the Box Tops. He did that famous song, "The Letter," and he had this soul voice. It came out of like this stacked kind of blue-eyed soul, right? So he's doing this blue-eyed soul. He does the letter. He does all these songs with 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 the box tops, and basically they're like a, you know, got like a, a hall, like <clears throat> Hall and notes type of blue eyed soul, and yeah. and then he suddenly switches to this Beatlesque band from the south, right? So big stars sound like the Beatles. Like guy Chris Bell was like was a Beatle fanatic, and he was like a George Martin on the board. He's a guitar player, but he he could write all this Beatles-esque, Beatle chord kind of oriented, you know like abbey road uh you know uh, uh, like this that's that sergeant pepper sound and he was just embedded in it and he could replicate it but not rip it off and and big stars first three records are just like like an american version of the beatles and they're not well known but the people that knew them they got like you know like bands like the replacements name checked them counting crows name checked them uh a lot of like indie artists in the 90s i like, would name check Alex Chilton all the time uh for the work they did in Big Star. And it wasn't, you know, understood until like a lot of the band started name checking them. And then suddenly people started buying their back catalog and, and really understanding them and really basically finding them as a new kind of Velvet Underground for the seventies.
1: Yeah. And you know I there's something uh that I, I love about that about that that process of basically the the artist that uh the artist's artist you know, there's something, there's a real charm to that. I feel like, and um, you know, I guess like you know, when I was a younger musician, it's like, oh, I want to be famous. I want to have my stuff become real big. And then you get you get older, and you realize, yeah, that stuff comes with with a lot of problems, from what I've seen. You know, yeah, so it's yeah. like I'd prefer <laughs> like the the guy that maybe would one day it'd be like, wow, you know, that guy did some very fascinating stuff back then that's, you know, looked upon, you know, with I guess that kind of twenty twenty hindsight that like you're talking about those guys have and um, you know, it I don't know. It's just, it's interesting uh the people that influence the influencers, you know.
0: You know. Well I think as a musician that kind of shows you know, it's like I I I'm a big fan of poetry. Like William Blake, you know, today everybody thinks he's the greatest poet, like one of the greatest poets ever. You know, during his lifetime nobody even knew who he was, you know. They have no idea. It was just some farmer that did the etchings, right? And nobody knew who the heck he was. But but now everybody thinks he's brilliant, but he never was well-known in his time, you know? And sometimes, like, you don't do the art just to be the number one star you do it because you believe in it. You know, William Blake thought he was like a prophet. He thought he believed in what he was doing to such a degree. He put his p- poetry in acid metal etchings and tried to make it just kind of like this pseudo, this kind of religious kind of fervor that he had. He just felt he was doing something important. And I, find, I come to find out he was, you know, but it just wasn't appreciated. And I think that's what, what music is like. You, you, you do the work because you believe in it. And sometimes, you know, you're not, you're not big in your own time. But if you believed in it, somebody else is probably going to believe in it. Um, and it kind of for the ages. What you do with music is kind of for the ages. It's like any art that you put it out there because you believed in it and you hope that other people pick up on it. And find something out of it and you continue with form, you know, that's why you do it. Yeah.
1: And you know, it's funny, that's something me and Amari talk about a lot. Um, we talk about that a lot. A lot actually. Um, you know, just the idea of just doing doing the music for, for the sake of doing it and then, you know, letting it letting it kinda of grow over time, you know, and you mentioned William Blake. To me, a big example of that is uh HP Lovecraft. You know. Yeah, nobody thing. I mean, I mean, H.P. Lovecraft was not, he was not a good human being by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, he, left, he left some, uh, he left some, some fascinating stuff. Good he work. left some good work. And yeah. it's yeah, interesting yeah. how that kind of snowballed because at the time he was, he was, he was not, you know, he was just writing in for
3: the pulps, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, like, we we kind of look at it as, yeah. uh, like, I try to look at it as, like, a butterfly effect because, like, when you put something yeah. out, you never know how it's going to affect, like, any individual person. Like, you don't know what you put out can inspire someone to create something, you know? So it's just about, like, finding yeah. people who can just gravitate to what you're doing because, you know, you can't see in the future. Like, a lot of artists, like you were bringing up, you know, who may not have been recognized in their time they left like a crazy mark on the genre as a whole even if it wasn't in their lifespan and that's like kind of beautiful
0: yeah that's why that's what keeps me going Because like the the Sunrise like the really good example I mean I saw so many releases from him this year I mean if you go out and you check the streaming services they keep on finding all these performances and all these lost tapes and it just keeps on getting put out you know it's like what you know like I bought the big Sign of the Times deluxe Prince, right? And it's got like eight hours. It's eight hours of Sign of the Times work, right? Because Prince was so crazy in terms of like his output. So for Sign of the Times, he had eight hours yes. worth of music. And so, you know, there's no way foreigners could digest that. Um, but now that he's gone, they finally did what he always wanted. You know, the thing that's really sad about that is like, Prince always wanted that level of work to come out. They just wouldn't do it, and now he's gone. Now the record company does it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's so it's kind of frustrating because as, as a big fan, I was a big pr- proponent of. I loved it when he went indie, and I signed up for all his like online experiments and stuff. And I was like a real hardcore fan, and I would I buy anything he put out, and I didn't care that he was putting out four things a year. I I would I would get it. And, and, and now you know record company was like railing saying oh we're not gonna he's put too much content and now all they do is put out three four five eight hour out
1: yeah <laughs> yeah and it, like you said there's um there's there's a couple things i want to say about that because um to me prince his output because he would play a live show and then he'd bring the band back to the studio when he was doing like 1999 stuff like that and there's something yeah. I found really inspiring, like, cause um, I had a period where when I was working at a gas station, I'd work these long, like 10 hour shifts and, you know, it's not the most uplifting, you know, job, you know, and I would come home and I would I'd just like push through. I would think, well, you know, Prince, Prince would literally like with his hip dysplasia and all this stuff, he would go home. I mean, oh, yeah. He wouldn't go home. He would go to the studio, work for like eight hours after playing this, these crazy live shows. Like, you know, I, I want to do that and i i I produced like a like a lot of material and then from there i was able to like choose like pick and choose and there's something very like liberating about that but like you said it becomes unfortunate that um you know that the record labels took advantage when he uh when he died you know and um yeah
0: they finally did what you know they suddenly put out like all the stuff that they said they couldn't put out they put out like if you go out to the Spotify and you look at friends, there's all this content that he used to fight him in the 90s that he put out independently and they suddenly approved it all. And and it's like, okay, you know, that was such a fight, you know, during the time. It makes me kind of mad at him because it's like, you know, this guy was like, you know, he was the Coltrane, Davis, you know, Hendrix of that time. He, he was able to, to put out output that's so high quality for an artist, you know that was what he's one of my inspirations because the level of quality in his work and the willingness to go in all these different directions is like phenomenal uh and 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 whether or not the the audience you know always wanted him to stick to 1999 or dirty mind or purple rain style but he would go dive into like jazz we'd dive into like three-piece blues trios or dive into you know gospel or dive into you know whatever he felt like going to that's where he was going to go And he you know didn't care if that's not going to do 10 million you know he just wanted to do the music and and that that's to me like for a pop artist to do that that's kind of big
1: yeah no that, that's huge and and there was, was like just a huge loss you know when he went in in a weird way but you know he was such a genius too and I feel like him not leaving in his will like what he wanted done with the stuff is I to, I yeah, it's kind of himself. frustrating.
0: I don't think he saw his mortality, you know, so he didn't, didn't, didn't put it down, which is a shame because there's things that he wanted to do, you know. I know as a fan, there's things the way he wanted it, you know. Uh, it's a, kind of like what happened with Hendrix, like with Rainbow. Uh, the the he had this new uh, new new, uh, new first raised in a new rising sun was supposed to be the record that came out after Electric, yeah. Lady. but but he never really pinned it down right he had all these different track lists of what it was supposed to be but he never really told anybody exactly what it was supposed to be so over the years people have put out multiple versions of that last Hendrix record and you know people have tried to get it close to his notes but it wasn't really clear so yeah the intention of the artist is always it's frustrating if, they're, if they can't get their their uh you know work put out the way they wanted it
1: yeah, because and that's you know a murky thing. That's a murky thing. Trying to because artists don't even know themselves. That's why they're doing. That's why they're you know working so hard and working so much in the studios because they're trying to develop and refine it. It kind of reminds me of like uh, like Tolkien when Tolkien was trying to develop Lord of the Rings. He wrote the Cimmerillion. And it's the same thing with those great artists like Hendrix with Prince, Sun Ra. You know the reason why they write so much. Is you know, it's kinda like, you know, when you're looking at that uh, that famous like little meme where it's like the iceberg and the tip of the iceberg is the album and then what I, everything underneath is that huge development process, those 30 tracks that they wrote that didn't even make the album. To get to one, yeah,
0: yeah, to get to one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean the cool thing when you listen to the new sign of the times, you see the the coolest thing I found was um the song I Can make a, Never Take the Place of Your Man, yeah. right? He had a version of it in '79, right, and that's a track comes out in '87. But there's a kind of new wave, kind of guitar focused, kind of post punk version of it with him on the drums, him on the bass, just him on the guitar. And it's not it. it you can hear that it's the same song, but the version that '87 version has an interlude. that's like a Zeppelin interlude, and it's got like it's been refined. The drum beats been refined. It's just but he but it's like he had that idea in in 79. Yeah. And then he and then he puts it out in 87. Sometimes he would hold on to things. And the cool thing, like looking at his archives, that he had like a, a new power generation song for that new power generation band. He had a version of the one of their title tracks. Um of their kind of that big band sound. He had that during
1: 1999
0: yeah sessions so he would have previews of styles that he never even showed the public in his back pocket and he would sit on it yes yeah I, until he felt like it was it was like the ready right time to put it out.
1: yes yeah I, I i love that i love that um i didn't know that i i really didn't know that he would like uh write these alternate genre versions of the songs that's i love that there's something um I, that's just that's crazy that's that's, that's very honest. Yeah, but that
0: shows you like when you have a, like a monta, when you have an artist that can actually create a genre yeah. and they recognize that they actually have something that doesn't fit what they're doing now. Right. And it's not going to fit what they're currently putting out, but it's good. So they'll put it in the can. And then when they get maybe to a point where they want to dive into that more, then they dive into it more. And, you know, it's interesting when you see a guy that could, you know, can they, when he was, if you look at I mean, him, when he hit 79, he's very young. And he had the structure of that song. And, you know, Sign of the Times is considered like his masterpiece, but he has that very early in his career, before he even had 1999, before he had Dirty Mind, before he had Purple Rain. He had that structure of that song which pretty cl- close to what that 87 version is. And that, that just shows you, you know, how brilliant artist he was, you know. And he did it all by himself. There was no producer. There was nobody else. It
1: was just all him. Yeah. Well, he was ahead of his own time in a way, you know. Um, Yeah. That reminds me um, of D'Angelo, who is very notorious for holding things. Like, you know, like you look at Black Messiah. I'm pretty, pretty, from what I understand, the album was like pretty much done. uh, Yeah, he held
0: it for a long time. Yeah. He held that for a long time.
1: Yeah, I I really can't wait for him to, uh, and he's kind of a Prince disciple in his own right, you know, to a large degree. And He refines the stuff. Yeah,
0: like like Frank Ocean. Yeah, it's like Frank Ocean. He holds on to stuff for long periods of time. So yes. I mean, he'll put out little things here and there, but like he hasn't put out a, a sequel to Blonde. You know, Channel Orange was like, you know, that's like a Prince Level album. Yeah. And then Blonde, you know, is the same type of thing. In R and B you've got an artist that's like like D'Angelo, you know, doing like doing that level of work. Yeah. But you know, some people aren't as prolific or they are and they just don't feel it's ready. And and then they just don't put it out. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm sure he's working on lots of stuff. It's just whether or not he feels it's the right time to do it. Some artists like Prince was always like, "This is like the newspaper. So if I write it today, the public needs to hear it today." <laughs> and I heard him in an interview. He said that, and it's like like he he was of the belief that you know the Motown machine used to put stuff out weekly. If it didn't work, they put it out. Have the bands put out another song. And and he was kind of from that mindset. that's like, "Why not?" Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I I get that, and I kind of I kind of run like that because it's like I I, I feel like if I wrote it today and I was feeling that vibe today, I should put it out today. And because I can, I do.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. And I'm kind of. It's weird for me because depending on the project, I'll be like that. Or I won't be like that. Like me and Amiri have. We kind of have three projects going on. We have this thing called the Other Jam Podcast, which is basically us. Improvising with um, the drummer from Space Adaptation Syndrome, uh, dimitri an amazing drummer, mm-hmm. and it's us just yeah, just good. riffing. And that that's one of the things where we we do it, we record it. I do like a, a mix of it. I try to. I have kind of like a, a mixing template basically where I I know how it should sound aesthetically, and then you know we put it out. And then there's some things like this other project me and Amari have called Profit fool We sat on that album for about a year and a half, and the writing of that album was very strange because when we wrote it, the album kind of wrote it itself, but we didn't know what the hell it was about. All of a sudden, 2020 happened, and we were like, oh, this album is kind of like 2020. That the makes sense. So,
3: do you want to did talk about that? Bit? Yeah,
0: yeah, did you want to talk about it?
3: Yeah, it, it, was, it was an interesting process, like making that album. We, I don't know, it was kind of like the first one. We just kind of like, talked a lot about what was going on in the world and stuff. Like, I don't know, we would just go on drives and just talk about stuff, and it kind of came together naturally. Because I don't think we, like, when we started recording, we didn't set out to make an album. We just started, like, recording more tracks. And the more tracks we had, we kind of, like, saw the vision for what it could be.
0: I think that's a good way to record. Tonight. I I'd like this kind of open-ended recording, you know, some, sometimes I have a theme, you know, I have a rock opera I wrote and I, it was intended and it, I actually sat down and I crafted out the story and, and I spent a bunch of time trying to build it. But the other times I just kind of stream of consciousness, like the muse, I pick up the muse. Or if I work with another artist, I just kind of like we get the vibe and, and it's like, OK, let's see what we can do. And we'll do a session and then we'll decide if we're going to put that out, we're not going to put it out or do we have more to say? You know, one time I worked with this lady from um, Los Angeles who was like an alt-control K. She was an actress, but she did like EDM. And we had this idea to do this kind of trippy album called Two Infinitum. And we kept on, we had this period where we were writing all these songs. It's like, oh, wow. We just boom, boom, boom. And then it stopped. Like suddenly we had no more. Like we're done. And I, I, typical me, as like, I want to keep on going. But she was like, no, I'm done. That's like, okay. I guess it's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was like this period for like a month and a half where we were totally in sync, and then suddenly like like the well ran dry with her. She's like, okay, I don't really have any more to say. But I think that's it. Um, and so that's cool. You know, he's like, yeah, okay. And then like, well, that's 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 the whole project. So let's go. But you never know. You know, it's kind
1: of weird. It is weird because um, you know, the music in a way I feel like I hear it and. Um... It, it's weird, you're like, cause you're talking about you and know, and it was it was similar for me and Amiri, especially for um this album, Bleak Psychedelia, the project profile Fool that we do. where it's like, it the album it, it kind of channeled itself and, and willed itself into existence in a big way, and then we sat on it and it was just like was like, okay, uh, this this album is now now ready to to go out. And It, it was a very like you said open ended process where it's just like. You know, and there's something unique about that because the album before that was very structured, very exact. I uh, had a specific vision for it, like, and this one it was the exact opposite. And the, the sound is a bit different. It's it's a rougher sound, but it's 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 weird because it's more refined, but it's also rougher. It's just a whole different animal. It's more rock oriented. Um The other one was a little bit more. Yeah. Sound-
0: Yeah, so how, when you guys get into it, because you guys have a tendency to kind of go off and do, like like on Pale Horses, I like that you've got like samples, you've got like hip-hop spoken word, you've got you know some singing, you've got the extended solo, you've got this vibe It's kind of pulling all these like things that I love, you know, the, the kind of synth tradition of like a band like A Yes or, or a band like, you know, like uh, Tangerine Dream you're pulling those vibes and you're bringing new elements with the hip hop and the spoken word. And it's just, you know, it kind of feels like this is a really interesting song. And in today's world, you know, you're at five minutes and four seconds. That's like an eternity in today's world because we have singles that are only like two minutes, you know, or less than two minutes. And you guys are kind of doing like the old traditional kind of Pink Floyd kind of, thing you're hitting five minutes and you could you could feel the song probably could go seven or eight minutes and um did you find yourselves having to cut yourself off cut, cut it down or or did you did was this a longer jam and then you cut it down or was it that it came out to like five
1: yeah it was one of those things where um well you know i want to say you know for me um my main, i kind of feel like i mean come from that prod like lineage to a large degree um, because that's that was like the gateway to all the stuff that I really got into from like funk to jazz to post-punk. It was prog and his bands like you brought up. Yes, King Crimson. Robert Fripp is my favorite guitar player of all time. Oh, um, he's awesome. Oh man. yeah, he's he's insane, and I could speak on him for hours. You can just ask my girlfriend and admire. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely. he's like
0: a he's like a Zappa. You know, Zappa and him were kind of going in. You know, I I, I can I can I can listen to both those guys. You know, going off, I I, I like like it. It was that, it Gets a little crazy, but yeah, Fripp uh, is is one of my favorites.
1: Yeah, well, you know, he kind of he created his own sonic world, and, and you know, I came from that, that uh that prod kind of like lineage. So for me, it was just like um, I didn't I never really saw the songs as like trying to to limit them. It was just more like that's how that one came out um, because it's that one. Once again, like I said, I talked about like the songs willing themselves into existence. That song was originally, um, I I actually ended up just putting two songs together by chance. It was literally just an experiment. I had two songs that had a similar vibe, similar aesthetic. And I just was like, Mm -hmm. well, these are in the same tempo. They sound similar. So I just kind of put them together. um,
0: And then, kind of a Beatle to, like a George Martin Beatle kind exactly.
1: of exactly yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and it just kind of became, uh, I have the solo in there. It's one of my favorite solo. That took me about 200 takes to get to that and solo. The,
0: <laughs> yeah, and I like that solo because it kind of, like, it does put me in that kind of Beatle-esque vibe where I kind of feel, yeah, this was maybe multiple songs put together, and it you know, just kind of, McCartney does that. You know, the, the Beatles did it. Pink Floyd does it, you know, they used to take pieces like piano pieces that were separate pieces and bring them into a song. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I think I wish you were here. I think they have a a piano suite that they actually had for a while and then they say, oh, this is actually going to work now. And then they integrate it into another song. Or I I saw a couple of documentaries where they had a lot of processes where they had multiple songs and they suddenly strung them together um, with that kind of you know the old 70s idea of like you know really kind of play not not trying to plan it but just craft it in a good way yeah you know and i think you know the studios used to allow that you know just because they could be in these studios and and use them like instruments and now with everybody with their dog they can do
1: the same thing Yeah, uh, and it depends on how deep you go <laughs> it's like an organic studio processing you know computer. um I, I love that track. It's probably my favorite track I've done with um with Amari um and Dimitri and uh, there's another vocalist on there, Chandler and I, j- I can't even commend uh you know Amari's performance on and, and his vocals because I listened to his lyrics um and like it's really something yeah, that fits with you it's something very 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 deep and and um you know Amari um you know in a weird way um. He's kind of like a combination of, he's got the spirit of mumble rappers where there's that vulnerability there. But he's he's got the lyricism and the the tact of more old school, like like 90s hip hop guys, like, like Tupac, you know, and, and Biggie yeah. and stuff like that, you know?
0: Yeah, that old school. But I like that flow where it's actually, you know, it's saying something, it's telling yeah. a story, or, you know, it actually, you can understand it. And, and it's kind of that classic hip hop, and I love you know, I think it would be cool if you guys did like a multimedia with the words, like you could actually put the words out in some kind of form. Yeah. You know, whether gotcha. it's video or or print or some PDF or this, because I think it's words are so important, like lyrics are important. Um and if you can get it to the get it to the to the fans in some kind of form, you know, whether it's a lyric video or some other type of thing. That that yeah, you put it out, it's cool. That yeah, and I'm a big fan of actually diving into lyrics, you know, and and, and getting deep into it. So it, I think it's cool.
3: Well, australia a straight up. Yeah, yeah, man. I it's it's about the words for me. Like the music is definitely the most not want say the most important, but it's what grabs people. You know, if you hear something like a melody you like, you're gonna be more inclined to listen to it. But I feel like the lyrics like make you stay. Cause once you get past like liking how the song sounds and you start listening, that's the kind of stuff that like sticks to your ribs and you're like, wow, I can actually really relate to that. So I always try to make sure I, I say something or at least like put the words cleverly. Cause that's like what made me love hip hop was just like how they put words together. It was like really like.
0: Well, you know, hip hop to me is like, you know, what, what Dylan did to rock was make it, make it literate you know and mm-hmm. rap does that with music like hip-hop brings that kind of Dylan-esque command of words you know great hip-hop is like reading a novel
2: yeah, exactly. it's like
0: reading a short story you know it's very well put together it's like and, you know when you get people who don't understand it and they say what's that it's like you need to like look at it like poetry you need to look at like Harlem Renaissance like Dunbar you know you, it's very it's very detailed it's art you know and and the people who don't understand you know lyrics have always been art um and it's just a different form of it you know to me it kind of has a lot of a lot of history in the harlem renaissance and in the great harlem renaissance poets like like dunbar uh you know that that is is the nature of, of 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 that kind of form and it's it's important and it it's always told the story from the bluesmen who used to tell the stories you know, to to the modern you know rappers and hip hop artists to tell stories, it's part of like this whole kind of oral history that we like to do. Yes.
3: Definitely, yeah,
1: yeah, and and like um, it, it's an oral history. It's and it's almost like um, I don't know. Like when I hear like Amari's lyrics, there's like a, there's a real philosophical quality to it um, that I feel um, is kind of. I, nobody really nobody really does like there's one line I, I know Amari's on the line with this a line that I, I love so much it's in one song we wrote called Interesting Times and the line is basically you know father times for child cursed to a finite mind in space and time seeking solace in the land of the lawless I didn't know that I could cause all this the facade that I used to call God left my conscience gone and my soul scarred who the hell's writing that right now in rock hip hop Classical music. Who the hell's yeah. writing that? Nobody's yeah. writing that, you know. It's
0: well. That's that's the thing. Where I I like the fact that you know I talk to indie artists like you guys, and that's that's the reason that I don't try to take it to another tier. You know, I I've, I've had opportunities to talk to people at higher tier, you know, artists, but they kind of bore me yeah. <laughs> because I don't see innovation in that part of the part of the, of the genre right there's, there's a lot of like replication yeah and there's a lot of instincts to try to make money and exactly. I'm looking have more the, art, the artistic intention and to me if i if i see somebody that doesn't have big fan base but they're doing something really interesting like i'm more interested in talking to them you know, then somebody's got like a million followers or whatever. It's like, I, I don't care as much about that unless they do something I really like. And so, this is kind of my choice to talk to people is kind of based on my musical taste. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I want to push the things I like.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, and you guys are part of it. Me. And mean, that means a lot, man. Like, you, you know, that, that means a lot. You know, uh, just, like shitting the spotlight on. People that are like just you know motivated on it for the for the craft, um, you know, because you know we're we're trying to capture. I mean, as cliche as you know arrogant as this might sound, we really are just trying to just capture our soul. It's something as a line that uh, Amari always does when he's responding. We're just trying to spit our soul
3: through the wire, you know,
1: you know. <laughs> so
3: for sure, bro. it's about making them feel you. Because I I just think of, like, all the music I listened to that had an effect on me that kind of, like, changed my life. And then, I don't know, it's just dope hearing someone who shares the same sentiments that you think. I don't know, like, everyone wants to kind of feel understood. So I feel like when you put your raw emotions out there, it could really, like, help people. And you may not even know it, you know what I'm saying? So that's definitely... Yeah, I think it's like any
0: writer. If you write a novel or you write your big idea... (laughs) It's because it's you're trying to put something across. You want, think, you know, everybody as an artist feels, you know, something. And I think as creators, we're able to take those feelings and turn it into art. And most likely, we're, we're going to have feelings that other people have, but they don't know how to express it. So as a creative person, you express it with art or music or acting, and in the, you're able to get people to key in on it. And I think that's what our talent as, as musicians is to get people to kind of to, to pick up on something that's inside of them that we actually triggered because we feel the same type of things. You know, and I think that's what's the great thing about music is it's not just all about making money or making beats. It's about the feeling. And how you get other people to feel those feelings, you
1: know? Yeah, well, you know, me and Amari talk about this a lot. But we we want to be more like a shaman, like, like an oracle, or like a soothsayer than we do like a like a pop artist. And um, like the, what you're talking about, like trying to, cr- you know, articulate the emotion that a lot of people are feeling, but they like don't necessarily have the resources to feel, or they're not willing to be honest enough about those feelings. Or, like you said, they're motivated by, you know, commerciality or money. Um, you know, it's... I, I think the best artists are people that are not concerned um, with... are more concerned with being like a, like a shaman source than they are with, with someone that's trying to...
0: Yeah, I mean, like Bob Marley, he just felt reggae. He created an art form. And it happened to be that he was on the kind of train where people picked up on it you know and a lot of reggae artists before him nobody really picked up on it but he had the right kind of spirituality with with the, the ability to write the the songs in the right band behind him right producers around him and then he was able to create the art form he's like you know like prince with the minneapolis sound he actually a rare time that you have an advanced artist actually is understood in his time yeah. and you get like a marley you get like a prince because they're understood in their time and that doesn't always happen. And when it does happen, it's, it's cool as hell. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like the, that is like the validation of the art form that you can actually have a high quality artist that's actually doing innovation and happens to pick up on the public picks up on it. You know, that's doesn't always happen. You know, yeah. you're always waiting for it to happen, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like they, when that happens, it's so great because it feels it feels really authentic when you're with you know people that are in that kind of crowd that that support those type of artists. You know, something special is happening, and you're like, wow, this is like a great moment. You know?
1: Yeah. Well, it's like they're they're in touch with like the the spirit of the times, you know. And and uh, there's there's a real you know, power power to that, you know. And I guess outside of music too, like you look at something like George Lucas, like each one of those. Types 2 that's that's able to um, to to do that, to have the has that, that knows exactly what needs to be heard and, and seen, you know, um, at the moment.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, Star Wars was, it could have been just another B movie. But somehow in the 70s, we were all kind of children of Star Trek. We were looking for the next kind of Star Trek. And he he picked up on something that you know no no studios thought that that was a big a big big blockbuster, they thought it was a failure it was just another B sci fi movie you know, uh, and then somebody how he picked up on the right vibe, and it just you know kept on going till now, but but you know it's just that that is just the great thing in art that when when you when everybody can like see something and recognize that something new is happening and it's actually you know understood and that it's frustrating when you're an artist and, and your audience doesn't understand you then you're like okay where am I going to go with this but sometimes you just have to believe in yourself you know you just you you find your audience I think today what's cool you know is because you know the bad things about Spotify or the bad things about iTunes or I, Apple Music you know you don't get paid and that's you know artists should get paid but then you can reach you know, I got people listen to the ghost like all over the world that I could have never, you know, I'm in New Hampshire. How in the seventies, how the heck I would be in a pizza shop, you know, when I yeah. was <laughs> you know, playing in some like Greek pizza shop <laughs> to like 30 kids, you know, 20 kids, that's it. You know, and then now I can actually reach, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and they're like wow, that that's that's the cool thing, you know, you can you can get other opportunities like this podcast. And and this, as an artist, you got to figure out ways to do stuff. This podcast has allowed me to get the ghost message out, and maybe it takes away from me recording, but I still record all the time. Um, but but it allows me to talk to other artists, and that to me is one of the best things in music is is being able to talk to other musicians because you know, like you learn from other artists. That's how you progress. You
1: know. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I really love it as, as a, as a platform too. It's a platform to like build like a network, you know, it's a platform, like you said, to communicate with other artists and, and, and share You know, our experiences and, and just see other people's creative. process, how it compares to, to our own and, you know, what, who are the people that influence them? And, you know, it's, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's all about, about learning. It's all about learning, sharing, you know, and, and, and growing, you know?
0: Yeah, be able to hear your new track, Pale Horses. Like because I have this network of of all these artists I talk to I, every week, I get to hear all different types of music. You know, one day I might be talking to a hip hop artist in London, or a punk artist from Ber- Berlin, or you know, some guy in Nashville who's doing like you know, uh, like blues. And I just am able to jump all over the place, and and it's. It's cool for me because I'm always looking for new things to listen to, and 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 it just I'm able to find it. You know, by just finding new artists to talk to, and that's that's always been a great thing. Because like, if you ever hit the wall as an artist, you listening to somebody else's music kind of opens you up. and You're like, wow, like this is a different approach, and like now I know it, now now can like. And I think we all kind of are representative of our of our heroes, our reference points. You know it comes out unconsciously or consciously when you're a musician who you dig ends up being part of your sound you know whether you wanted it to happen or not it tends to be in your head and it just comes yeah
1: it's like osmosis in a way and um it's interesting uh you know you bring that up because i noticed a lot of um I feel like the main issue a lot of people have nowadays is uh people have like this weird perfectionist mentality. I think it is because they're, you know, raised with the DA as opposed to being raised with, you know, being an actual instrument or like doing something organically or you know, or organic studio process. So people have kind of uh had this weird stunted um thing where it's it's hard for them to to write you know cuz they have this desire to become perfect or they want to be very close to their artist they grew up or they want all the influences to come out perfectly but the reality is is that they have to learn to like let it flow out and the things that they want to be heard the best things that they want to be heard in every artist those things will 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 show themselves you know it's just about having you know faith in the process you know
0: i think that's the big one of the big i was watch, I, I was actually um uh, one of my friends is into Paul Westerberg and the replacements. And I guess there's a biography that Paul Westerberg did. He's a lead singer, guitar player for the replacements, like a post-punk band. And and he was kind of railing about the dawn. And He said, you know, some of the greatest parts of our classic albums, like Tim and Pleased to Meet Me and, uh, you know, Sorry, Mom, Forgot to Take Out the Trash. These are like replacements like classic albums, was the fact that we weren't trying to be perfect. That that the fact that we let like the bad notes yeah. come in, that we did the off-key changes, we, we didn't go back and fix it, because it's kind of like telling Keith Richards to clean up his rhythm yeah. guitar. You, you know, can, the reason Keith Richards sounds like he does is because he's a yeah. little off. And that is what you want. <laughs> and I don't know how many times I have to tell people, it's like, you know, if you kind of play it like Richards, you're going to feel more free. You know, don't try to get so caught up trying to be perfect. You know, you you got to try to be a little loose, and kind of let it like feel it. And it's hard to tell somebody to feel it if they don't feel yeah. it. But, but like yeah, but it, but if like a lot of like it's a kind of an African American tradition to kind of just like like let the funk happen. You know, like James Brown, like his band, like you know, you yeah. know what it is, you just, just feel it, just do it. You know, if you got if I got to tell you the notes, then we might as well do the next song. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you kind of got a feeling.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I agree, and I think it's yeah about just yeah like you you bring up like like being loose and like letting things flow and like you said in, in embracing the funk. Um, I think that's in a way become lost. Um, even even with artists that claim to be like funk artists, or like modern, like I don't know, I I, I just think that perfectionism.
0: You know, I think they're, they're too too much on the grid. You know, if you get into Pro Tools and that's the way you write the song, I I kind of like, okay, I'm going to use the DAW to clean up yeah. my song. You know, maybe, or I might not, I might just use it to kind of master my song. You know, but I am not going to use it to write the song. Like, I write my song using LFOs. Yeah. You know, using analog filters or using random voltage. Like I'd rather go and take my Mo grandmother and run a sample and hold random voltage to create a kind of haphazard beat, right? And just see where that goes by playing with my filters and then some envelopes and then seeing where that goes. And this is what I think a lot of people got to understand. Like if you use these analog synths or you use modular synths, that is actually will give you more clips and more beats than trying to kind of do do it on yeah a grid. no
1: I agree you know
0: it, 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 if people there are more and more people who are getting into it and realizing that like if you run a bunch of LFOs and envelopes you can get equivalent to like clips you can you can create organic clips that nobody else will have and then you you don't have to worry about paying them because you just wrote yeah, it yourself. yeah exactly
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know that, that's that's more freeing, you know, or just playing it like freehand on my moog. You know, playing a freehand bass line or a melody line on my moog is gonna feel more authentic than trying to yes. do it on the grid.
1: No, I I agree, and it, it it sounds it sounds better, it sounds more realistic, and it's kind of like you know that concept that everybody talks about nowadays, the uncanny valley. Um, when I hear something that's very on the grid like that, it's like I you can it's got that uncanny valley quality to it where it's like realer than real you know I mean? it's hard for me to you know it's like yeah
0: yeah, yeah it's it's a, it's, a too, it's like antiseptic yeah. to me you know it's like like if you go and you put it right on the bpm you got everything running so clean you know you got so much in there cleaning up the sounds like half the sound you know the reason why you want to use a mini mode is because it's it, it yeah. boom through the mix right and you, you can't control it you know it's just gonna override all the other thin yeah. tinny cents right and if you use a profit five right instead of using a, a like a like a, 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 a something from a from a from a doll, like a profit five profit ten ten voice pad is gonna blow anything from any of these modern like sound engines and and the reason why people will go get a profit five is because it does that just like a Jupiter eight does or an SH-7 from an old, like, 70s SH-7 or SH-5. Th- those sounds, you know, if you go listen to Pink Floyd or Genesis or any of those bands, the reason those sounds they cut through is because those analog synths are like yeah. Hammond organs. You know, they they just cut through. like they, They're like That they, You can't replace Not at all.
1: Them. You, you can't replace them. And, yeah, you listen to, like, a lot of VSTs, and they try to capture that sound, but they – I hate to say it, they really don't. Just, I mean, just the nature of them being being sample based. But there's one thing I I do want to say about the dog is that um one thing I I have uh, that I do do that is a big part of my my process is um I'll I'll I will write in the dog, but I'll try to always keep in mind. Basically, I won't go back and document. I won't like go back and find anything. Like I'll literally like write something, and then I'll come up with another riff, mm-hmm. and then I'll just record that. Because I heard Joe Walsh said something. He's like, "Oh, you know, people, you know," and he was talking about that replacement. scene he was talking about where it's like, "Okay, yeah, you know, I can, uh, you know, with the DAW and Pro Tools, like, everything's perfect." But people need to like once they begin to use the technology, the DAW, but they have the 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 workflow of analog. That's when like we'll enter the gold age, and that's something I'm trying to like do in my own production. Yeah. DAW and I'll use the DAW as like a way to, to document, because I have a big issue with losing ideas. Uh, like I'll, I'll...
0: Yeah, I like the document. I mean, I, I use yeah. like a Zoom R24, or I'll use like a yeah. role in Phantom like because then like a Fandom, I can go and take all my CV and gate stuff and throw it into the Phantom sequencer, right? Yeah. And it will just capture it as I do it. And so it, it it I actually didn't record it on the grid, but it puts it on the grid. And then I can bring it into a DAW, but I actually recorded it all in the hardware and I can have my modes and my Arterias and my profits all coming in, but it it's all free kind of run. And I just kinda of can go in, and I can move things around if I feel like moving it around. Or I can just enhance it or change it, or run it through a different filter or something. Most of the time I just use the DAW to run through processing like effects. Yeah. To, to add to something I already wrote you know but it, it was primarily yeah. done on the hardware and I think it samples and like like if you do like granular synthesis and sampling I like to add like newfound sounds and stuff like that it to, to stuff like yeah. that you know using DAWs to do that because you can control it a little better on the sample so if you're trying to take like Pink Floyd like spoken word type of segments with somebody saying you know you know, you better eat your eat your yep. meat before you can have your pudding. <laughs> if you want to do stuff like that, the dog's cool for that. Uh, you know, so you can enhance your sound. So I think it's a matter of like t- taking my Moog and I'm going to do the line live on the Moog, but maybe I'm going to do the granular synthesis and the sampling on the dog. You know, but I'm, not, I'm not going to do the piano on the dog. am going to use my Yamaha piano and, yeah. type and actually play that you know could I yeah it,
1: it's about making it or, <laughs> as organic as possible and it kind of reminds me of um this time i saw uh bernie Warrell play like this really dinky basic like hundred dollar yamaha and with really just really like really appalling like samples and stuff like that But he made it work because he knew how to like use it and, like make it organic and i think that's what needs to be done with the da is learning how to Turn into this organic thing, you know?
0: Yeah, you can just use it as another tool, you know, because I have like a teenage engineering yeah. OPZ, like okay, a little tiny little digital scent, and I'll use it to do samples. And I'll, I'll sample stuff and then I'll bring it in. And it has all these crazy workflows where it does these like um, step components, which basically allow you to, to throw multiple type of like LFO type things on every step yeah. on a sequence. So then you can go crazy, you can build the sequence and it suddenly has all yes. these effects on every step. It's kind of like yes. putting multiple LFOs on steps. And it gets into sound design, but that kind of gets... A lot of times I like to kind of just random stuff, you know, or stuff I think is glitchy or it's, it's weird. And okay, I'll do that. And that's how you, I think you should use, use the technology to enhance yeah. your yes. craziness. <laughs> you know, and actually try to make it so it doesn't try to make it more like free jazz. But use that tool to kind of put some chaos into it. Don't use that tool to yes. to make it antiseptic.
1: You know, yeah, that's that's exactly it. And you know, I feel like um, to a large deg- degree, the, the chaos is 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 missing nowadays, or it's 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 hard to find. You know, I mean, there's still definitely some bands that are are definitely like in, embracing the chaos. Um, one band, a modern band that I like a lot, that's really doing that is um Swans. You know, oh, I've
0: yeah. heard of them. Yeah, yeah. I like to. I think I tried to see if I could talk to them, but I get. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, sometimes I can't get past. The yeah,
1: parents. no, definitely. <laughs> well, yeah, and they're. Yeah, I feel like they would be. They'd be hard to yeah. to get a hold. It's kind of weird because I was, I was, I think, I, I, when I was on Facebook, I, I somehow was became friends with, uh one of the guitar players on there. I obviously didn't know the guy or anything like that. It was. It was it was it was interesting, but yeah but i mean they're older guys too you know, they're they're like in their 50s and 60s
0: well i might try again because of covid because people can't play i'm finding more and more artists are starting to be open up that guys that yeah. wouldn't talk to me can i always try i'll try you know and then it's like okay you want to talk to my manager and they say well, okay as soon as you talk to the manager they say no we like, okay fine but but like now because they can't play gigs i'm starting to get access to people yeah. i couldn't talk to before because they're like, oh, maybe I should try that. So <laughs> Maybe I should try to go on the podcast. Uh, so, yeah, man, I think maybe I'll try that again. Couldn't oh, yeah. Like their sound well, a
2: lot. So again
1: I would love, love to hear that interview. I would really love to hear that. Because, I, I mean, you, you've you got such a, like a musical knowledge, all these different artists. I feel like you'd be able to – because I, I feel like a lot of times I watch – Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. They definitely seem like – you definitely seem like you, you listen to them a lot. I feel like you would – a lot of times I see people interview them, I feel like they don't know the history of Swans, but you know everything that we kind of lead in the
0: yeah. That kind of kills me on some of the podcasts. I don't like to put other guys down, but like, like I don't, I don't like to talk about like like your social media posting about your yeah. cat or your girlfriend or or your <laughs> drug, drug bust or something. Like I want to yeah. talk about the music, you know, <laughs> and so like like that's where I'm coming from. Kind of like classic album, you know. I watch like documentaries about you know bands like Yes or you know or or like I was watching a documentary on uh, on um, and one of the guys I really love is like um, I, I was watching this thing on uh, a kind of un like at the band yeah. Death I don't know if you heard of Death yes. like a black punk band they kind of they had the whole thing on it and I was like wow this, that, that's the kind of story I like and it kind of reminded yeah. me of the Velvets you know and I'm like yeah, that's the kind of thing I like to watch, you know. So I get deep into the history of music. I like to, to dive into, like, Sun Records. How did Sun Records get created? You know, I want to know. You know, how, you know, how about, what about uh, Chess Records? You know, what's the history of Chess Records and all those Chicago blues guys? You know, I'll dive into it. You know, like, that's what I want to get into, you know. Because um, I think it's cool to, like, have that level as a musician like it's very it's i think it's important to kind of know that stuff because it helps you you know as a musician i, I no,
1: absolutely i yeah and even if it doesn't like it's not something that directly ties in the music you do just to be exposed to it um you know it, it, it seeps out. like you know I, I remember i watched this documentary on jay dilla i mean obviously my music i mean there's a lot there's some elements of like jay dilla in there they're just naturally gonna out but yeah. um you know, I remember watching this documentary. And once again, he's one of those guys that's, that was hyper prolific that worked in the studio all day, every day. You know, twenty five hours a, you know, a day. You know, and uh, I don't know. It just like it, it inspired me. The same thing with this crowd rock, this BBC crowd rock documentary I watched. Um, you know, but uh, but yeah,
0: yeah. I think it's what's cool about like uh, you know, just you learn that kind of history of music, you know, and the history of the struggles that even the big guys had, you know, I was watching this documentary on Hendrix and they, they had this, they Hendrix and the animals had the same manager and the guy was ripping them off. You know, he was like taking all the money. They were basically only getting oh. the tour receipts and he was taking all the money and throwing it into a like Caribbean dummy company. <laughs> and like the animals, they never got like any other money. They, they they all got stolen from him. And Hendrix, basically, same thing. Most of his real money got stolen from him before he died. You know, his, his father and his sister and his brother end up getting it after they fought the guys running management. But, like, the even the big, you know, the Beatles got a really crappy deal. They were getting like, – but they were making – selling so many records, they didn't see how crappy the deal was. But it was, like, it was an absolute yeah. shit deal, you know. Uh, so it's like, like the stories, it's like like the Beatles got ripped off. It's not surprising that everybody else gets ripped off.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and it's it's kind of like it <laughs> gives me a little bit too of like the the big one nowadays. The you know the three hundred and sixty deal. You get you get guys like you know, Lil Yachty getting caught up in stuff like that. You know, it's it's um, yeah, yeah. it's 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 crazy how these things work. It's almost you it, know you know it's it's funny because. It makes you almost want to stay indie. It's like, all right, you know what? It...
0: Well, record companies are just notorious. Because they tend to just give you deals where they give you the money, but the contract basically says, hey, you know, this album made $2 million. We gave you an advance. We estimate that your next album is going to hit $5 million. Well, that's not true because if you look at any artist, like they have their peak, and they never yeah. hit it again. Right. So like in Eagles, like Hotel California, like ten million, right? There's no way they're yeah. gonna hit that again. You know? And so to think that the long run's gonna hit twelve million, it hit like two or four. It was never gonna hit ten. You know, it's like purple rain is like hit ten around the world in a day is like two. You know, two million. And so so you you, you the, the record companies try to build a deal that doesn't make any sense. And then the artists because of the ego, they hear, yeah, yeah, I'll do that again. But like realistically, you usually don't. So so it's like they build your contract on something that's not, yeah, real, and then you suffer because then suddenly you yeah. owe them, money. yeah. And now you're working for them and you owe them money. Yeah, it's it's kind of like you're you're
1: you're on retainer in a way. And you know it's interesting because um this this reminds me a lot of uh, a, a an artist that really influenced um me and Amiri Danny Brown he was talking about his album atrocity exhibition how uh, that was one of his um his he loved working on that album uh, but because of I think the success of some of the albums before that it naturally was you know it, it just sold short because it's a more artistically inclined album it's more of an album that's a little bit more you know auteuristic in the sense that it's it's going for a specific vibe and It it didn't sell, and I think he ended up uh, being in the rears. I think, Amir, you know more about that than I do.
3: Yeah, he, like, spent a bunch of money on samples and stuff for the album, and he didn't end up making the money back. And it was interesting because before this album, the the (laughs) Trophy Exhibition, he probably put out his most, like, mainstream album. Like, he was messing with, like, EDM producers, and he had, like, a really successful album with that one. And then he, like, went out and tried to do something, like, really experimental, and kind of almost like industrial and unique and it it didn't like sell the same. And I feel like that can be like discouraging to an artist when they kind of go out there and try something different and then it doesn't get the response that they wanted and then you owe your label I mean, when you were doing something the record that you,
0: company, Yeah. To. The record company always wants you to do the yeah, last single. Exactly. They, they, and they want you to do it to death, right? And so you you destroy the genre like you destroy disco, right? Because, like, if you keep on putting out the same song and you just retread it, and maybe you'll get to go number one, but eventually you're gonna burn yep. your fans out, and that tends to be what the record companies want to do. <laughs> you know, they don't care about like artistic intention. They're like, oh, do purple rain two, three, four, five, yep. six. You know that that's what they want, <laughs> and and if you do that, you know artistically you're going to suffer because, you know, the critics are going to slam you, but you yep. make the money. But then eventually your fans will get burned out and they, they'll drop you too. So it's like, so it's just, you got to balance it out. And it's, you're always going to, the experimental stuff is never usually going to work. Once in a while you get something like a kiss that was experimental or a Dove's Cry and it worked. You know, it's very experimental for a pop artist to do a song like that and it actually work, But, you know, you get Bowie, Doing like low or heroes with Brian Eno, and that's like that's super experimental, and yeah. it worked. Um, you know, sometimes you get that to happen. But yeah,
1: well, and I and I think that trilogy, um, the, the trilogy, the trilogy of albums he did with uh with Brian Eno, it's it's interesting how much um heroes like worked because I felt like those other two albums, Lodger and and, uh, and low, had just too much accessibility. Yeah, um, it's just, it's interesting how that one worked. Yeah, and, they did. Um, but uh,
0: well, he kind of hit the vibe. Like it, it was interesting. He kind of hit the new yeah. wave vibe before the new wave. You know, e- Eno and him actually started doing like even everybody's always talking about Joy Division as the first new wave. I say like Bowie. Yeah. with Eno actually did it. You know, ahead of them, but um, and it actually was understood. Um, but. It, it's weird. Some of the experiments are not but I mean, you know, he, he, he just does all these experimental stuff and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know, and you never know which one's going to do it. And, and it's kind of like, that's the cool thing. You know, to me, it's like, it's like, you do the experimentation and you hope the fans understand it. And sometimes they do. Um, and, and you kind of never know which one's going to work. So yeah, that's why you should always try everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's funny you brought up. That's actually, uh, I I love that album. I love Heroes. That's that's definitely my my favorite Bowie album. And, um, and it's Fripp on guitar. Majority of the album is Fripp. I love that.
0: Yeah, I think that's yeah. I think I saw a documentary where like Eno was telling um, Fripp or something. He went up on a chalkboard and he just yeah. started throwing chords out on the chalkboard they like, just do this and he's like that doesn't go he's Like, he's like that doesn't work and he's like yeah just do it and and he's like because like you know just have these ideas if he just had it you just throw it out you know and he's like okay I don't, you know, I don't really care if it doesn't musically work I think it's going to work here you know and, and he's the kind of guy that's going to do that and, and that's the, the kind of genius of it he's like yeah that's what's missing today. Is yes. Guys who are willing to break the rules, you know. And you need guys who are willing to just say, "Yeah, I know that's this tonal I know that's kind of off. I know you're doing like it's polyrhythmic and it's not in time. It's like, but there's a reason. I
1: want, well, I, I want to do." It. And I love the synergy between the two. The fifth, you know, that's kind of like a. I feel like that's that's almost like a classic like like dynamic duo, and you see it with Thundercat and Plant Lotus nowadays. I feel like that we you have the producer that's the idea yeah. guy that's like thinking like a film director, and then you have the very technical musician, guitar wizard type of guy. You know, in the case of Frippinino, Frippinino was the guitar wizard, and Eno was this, you know, almost cinematic director. He called himself a non-musician, and I feel like it's a very similar dynamic with Flying Lotus and Thundercat nowadays, and I don't know. I, I, love, I love that. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think it's the same. Yeah, I think so. I think that's cool because I think it's good to actually put a guy who's willing to break the rules you know he he's not going to go and say well in my Berkeley class they told me to do this you know no I, I'm going to take those ideas of music theory and it's like you know it's out the window it's like, it's like if I feel like doing this that's what's going to happen you know and and, and and you should be free to, to play with that you know and to do what they tell you you shouldn't do because that usually is what makes pushing it forward you know, you afford when you're willing to do alternate tunings or you do, you know, polyrhythms that don't exactly match or glitch a little bit, that, that's kind of what where where you come up with the new stuff, you know. Like Hendrix doing the feedback, all the freaking recording engineers wanted to EQ it out. And he's like end up having to go on the board himself and say no. You know, like I think on Electric Lady he had to go on a board a bunch of times. To kind of say, like, no, this is actually supposed to be here, you know, because <laughs> it wasn't something anybody had done, and they thought it was wrong. But he's like, no, it's not wrong. It's it that's right. Yeah.
1: You know. Well, it's it's crazy when you think about the school engineers when they start working in positions. You know, uh, my grandfather was a uh, he was like an acoustical engineer in Chicago back in the uh, the seventies, and he took my dad, who's uh, like a teenager at the time, to one of the convention. And Tom Dowd was giving a a presentation he was like talking about picking up clapton you know and clapton was playing this very 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 loud amp and he's doing with like this ribbon mic and he thought that was like so sacrilege or i think it was tom dowd or someone like that and it's just interesting how the 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 old school engineers like how uh how they really had to deal with like this weird apocalypse of having to do these really loud instruments you know and, and and how much they wanted to kind of reject a lot of it you know
0: that's what kind of happened to analog. My understanding is analog stints got EQ'd out of the mix because the recording engineers liked the DX7 because kind it of didn't like, yeah. overwhelm the mix. So the Yamaha DX7 with its FM synthesis is is not as loud. It doesn't override the mix where a Moog or a Prophet or an Oberheim they overwhelm the mix like a Hammond B3, you know, and 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 that's actually. A good point that that was the point (laughs) you know it did it did and it was part of the sound and people wanted to intend it to do that and then when you take that away you go with the digital sense like the d50s and and the the dx7 not that they're bad but they they kind of weakened the sound of, of synthesizers and that's why there's been a revolt to go back to the VCOs don't use the digital oscillators use the voltage controlled oscillators which are the ones that actually give you the power
1: yeah yeah that's fascinating you know and that's something I've run across a lot is the mixing engineer wanting to in a way um, uh, basically sterilize the, the work you know yeah, cabin, right? yeah, and it's, <laughs> it can be real, it can be real, real tragic, and that's kind of a large degree why I mix my own stuff, which is very dangerous, it can be like giving yourself a haircut, but, um,
0: yeah, I mean, because mixing is, is this art in itself, you just got to find a guy that kind of has yeah. your motif, you know, it's hard, you know, sometimes it's hard when you got to pay for it yourself, like, to find the guy that is in tune with you, you know. But it's an art. It's like a member of your band. If you find the the guy that understands you, and understands your sound, and it, it doesn't destroy it, enhances it. That that's always the the, the thing you want. You know, you got to find that guy or, or girl yeah. that's going to do that. You know,
1: no, absolutely. It's and it's. Uh, it, it, yeah, I agree with you. It, it is very much like a like a member of the band, and it, it really is a skill. It's one of those things that because um, that's basically what I went to school for was was uh, like audio engineering. And it's um, it's it's definitely its own skill, and it's interesting how it's changed me as a musician. Because the degrees, in a way, it's made me more focused as a musician. I've I've a little bit of like the, um, I guess like the organic like uh quality because I'm like because you know a mixing engineers, they're kind of like cinematographers in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's yeah, the yeah. light? It's it's not that it's calculated, but it's like very like what is the final product going to be, you know.
0: What's cool about it, they put the focus on it they put the like the sheen on it' Because if you get a really good mixing engineer, they can just totally rework what you did, and it's just magic you know when you get the right guy it kind of brings out the right parts at the right time you know and 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 it's, it it puts the sheen on it, and they say, well, yeah, that makes the song you know I was watching a guy talking about like uh yeah damn the torpedoes and the mixing on damn the torpedoes and it's like. The, what they did they, i guess they were using like a, a like a like the, yep. the neve board um and and that that did it that that sound a neve board it's like it's on it's on rumors you know it's on Fleetwood Mac rumors it just is an awesome analog board and then if you have a guy that knows what to do with it you can just put the sheen yeah. on everything you know and it's just that that stuff is just i'm always looking for yeah new stuff <laughs>
1: that's yes, that makes well, it's fine. Me and Amari have been very lucky. We, um, the school that we both went to uh, Valencia, they have an audio program at uh It's a, it's like a two year college. They have a, a, a great, fantastic uh, audio program where they got um, a lot of really top notch equipment. And one of the, they have three main boards there. They have an API, they have a an Neve, and then they have uh, an SSL. So they kind of like, a, in a way, like a holy trinity. Yeah, Yeah, and the Neve, yeah, that's a that's that's a fantastic board, um, especially for recording because it's it's got this warmth to it that you can. not Yes. Yeah, it's like a Moog. It's
0: like a Moog board. You know, it's like having a Prophet or you know, like if you have a Prophet Five or you have a uh, Roland Jupiter and you go you record it into a Neve, it's like it's like the holy thing. It's like it's like that's gonna capture it the way the synth is built right but you throw that into something else you got to spend all your time trying to keep what what you might lose you know <laughs> and you don't seem to lose it with that and that that's that's what what yes. you want you know if you understand those instruments you kind of don't want to lose yeah. the nature of the instrument <laughs> yeah
1: you know absolutely and um i think that's the big deal is is um making sure that the you you know what the the nature is and just and yeah, and yeah, Neve Neve really, really has a has a magic way of, of capturing that. And I think what it is is you know you bring up the analog sound is um there's a natural like uh, compression that goes on, so you're getting, like upper order harmonic distortions that kind of this this warmth too, it. and it's the same yeah. thing with like you know really anal- any analog gear, um you know you're just not going to get that recording in, into a DAW. You can recur You can get pretty close, but yeah, it's it's not the same.
0: Yeah, it's not been, Yeah, yeah. I mean, my analog gear is just like, is this something you know? When I if I use like a, a digital Roland, and I'll do it for a piano, you know, can I use a PCM sample piano or something? Yeah, and that that you know, it's hard to get an analog piano. You can't really get it. Um, um, on you know, they're not really designed for it. You tend to you have to use like system using yeah. PCM or samples to do the piano. Um, or like, but the Roland virtual piano is pretty cool, it gets pretty close. Um, so there are certain sounds that with analogs, like it's really like that 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 Moog bass, you know, or the Prophet 5 or 10 pad, you know, there's nothing like the the Prophet 5 just got re released and it's you know, it's just been re put out. The, the Dave Smith actually has oh, recreated wow. the original design with the original chips and they're selling for crazy money, but they're actually authentically fully analog signal path and the original design with the Curtis chips and everything if anybody's into them. But it is nothing like like if you listen to New Wave, those profit fives and tens are all over it. And it it really is that sound. And if you between that and the Jupiter um in the Oberheim's Th- those are the cents that did, you know. And if, if you actually have one of those, you you can sound like Joy Division. Yes. You can sound like New Order, <laughs> for real.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I know that was um. That, I think that was Bernie Rawls. Uh Well, he was obviously known for the mini Moog, you know, with the you know, yeah. But I,
2: think he,
0: yeah, I Pro- think he was
1: working Pro- at Prop Prophet Five you know. when he was Talking Heads, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah. The Prophet Five is yes. like a killer for for pads. You know, because it's, it's a five voice, you do like an octave and then you do a like, like you can do, you know, chords with the other hand or leads, but the 10 was a 10 voice. So, you could actually do full finger chords on both hands. So, it actually was a little bit better than the, than the Jupiter. The Jupiter was like an eight voice. The Prophet 5 is a five voice, so it's five fingers. 10 is a 10 voice, 10 fingers. Jupiter is like eight. Um... And so once those synths, you know, got past the mini mode of only being duophonic or, or monophonic, and you've got to be able to do full chords, Even you know, the Prophets probably one of the first. to actually do five-fingered chords or, you know, an octave and three fingers. But once you had the tens and the Prophet eights and stuff, it just opened up that sound. And when you started hearing chords, like analog chords is what new wave is really about, is being able to express those electronic sounds as chords. That's it's fascinating. Kind of like i, I
1: never thought about it like that, but that uh yeah, that makes more sense. That's yeah. Not why it sounds
2: like
0: yeah, no, it,
1: it, it's crazy, um you know, it's crazy to think looking back that like literally like the first some of the classic, you know, synth sounds that we think that we think of are monophonic. You know, it, it's
0: yeah, I mean because they're so wide. A mode monophonic. Can be so deep, it actually can take the space of three three-note chords. I can get like a mini mode on three oscillators to basically on one note do do yeah. do a do a major chord. So that's why those synths actually work during that time. And you 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 have three 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 oscillator chords off of one finger, and and you could detune each oscillator be a little bit off, so you you basically had like oh. a chord. On one finger, and that's why it sounds so powerful uh, and a lot of people still like to do it that way because then you have if you're just doing your if every no single note has the power of a chord when you do that run it's got a, a kind of feel that that's interesting you know um but then once you've got the profit five and you could actually do the chord, then you get like new wave and and you get those sounds like Brian Enino and joy division, new order, Depeche mode, you start getting that sound. Uh, which is you know that's kind of my world because that's where i live <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah no definitely yeah I, I think um yeah just the power to like express things like harmonically as opposed to just simply uh you know melodically is it's it's a it's a huge deal and it's um i'm surprised more jazz guys didn't really grasp onto the the profit profit five i mean obviously i'm sure herbie hancock did but um
0: yeah, Hancock is probably the one that did. Hancock jumped on it. Sunra was actually Sunra was using Moog modulars, and they were using mini Moogs. Like like in '58, they actually got access to a modular Moog, like Moog One, which yeah. is like a gigantic like wall Moog, and, and Sunra actually used it. Um, like I think they're the first jazz band to actually use a Moog Sun Sunra. But then Herbie's like known for using like Prophet Fives and Jupiters and and, and uh, you know C S eighties and stuff like that. But yeah, he actually did a lot of cool work. Herbie's got a lot of cool work with like, you know, multiple like CS eighties, the Yamaha super machine. Uh uh Stevie Wonder used like C S eighties and dream machines in, in their Yamaha sense, analog sense. And they like if you listen to songs in the key of life, it's all like Yamaha it. analog. Uh, Pre DX seven, yeah, yeah. The, the the big one he used was the Dream Machine. The Dream Machines on yeah, like that's a Saturn great
2: song.
0: song Saturn, and it, the Dream Machine is like it's super powerful analog sound. Like if you when you hear that sound that song, that's like wow, what is that? But that's a full chord analog synth. Oh yeah, you know, and that's why it sounds that way. It doesn't sound real. It doesn't sound like a normal like violin. I anything. did not know it's, that. That's crazy. Kind of it, that's
1: a, and that's a fascinating song in context to the album because it's almost like a like a prog song. It's almost like a Genesis like Stevie Wonder writing like a Genesis song. Yeah, Well,
0: he's yeah. Using Genesis like machines. <laughs> he, it's funny because you have a, like a soul artist <laughs> doing frog rock on the album. You know, he he, he, he he's, he's doing all this stuff that the As and Genesis were doing and but he does it with a little soul but it's got got classical you know orchestration you know you the chords on Saturday are very classical kind of focused it's kind of something that you think like uh you know the any of the guys in yes or like uh uh you know um the other bands at the time yeah. emerson lake and palmer it's kind of like that kind of thing and you're like wow but yeah, I, I, it was It's really interesting because, the, but the crazy thing about the Dream Machine, man, it's like it was, it was like a two hundred thousand dollars synth in the seventies. <laughs> so nobody has it. It's like it's just Hardly anybody has it. You know. Yes, used to have it. You got one, but, but Stevie was able to get it because he had the money. But but like not everybody could get it because it's a crazy machine. It's just it's just, it's a three layered synth that's like fully polyphonic. It had like express it had one keyboard that was an expressive keyboard that could move multiple directions it could go side to side up and down and it would express itself by oh, wow. moving it all those different so- directions and there's hardly any sense they can do that it's one of the sense that can and it's kind of like it had like a hammond organ that you could kind of if you moved it it would express itself and trigger envelopes and do all kinds of strange things and it's like it's a it's a player's machine but it's a super yeah, like a sync clavier or something and we yeah it was like people have wanted the Yamaha to kind of make a dumbed down version of it for years and they never would you know because it's like what it's 200 yeah
1: I that's crazy I, i've never i've never heard about that <laughs> synth but um yeah no that's crazy yeah i'll i'm definitely have to like look into that you
0: I'm a kind of synth historian. I like there's, there's some really awesome synths from the '70s and '60s that are just unbelievable in terms of what they can do, and people go looking for them just because there's nothing. I was like the CS80 was another one for me. i uh, That's like totally different than anything else out there. Um, you know, you got like I said, you know you get so many different classic models that are don't exist anymore, and people yeah. kind of look for them like classic guitars. You know because because they're this, this certain sounds for these things that they just all the machines don't do it and you just gotta look for them and uh you know it's part of my part of the sound like the synthesis is like you're looking for that sound you know either you build it from scratch yeah. or you try to find the instrument well, it's do. kind
1: of the same thing with um i feel like a lot of like guitar technology there's a lot of deep cut guitar technology from the 80s that people don't like you know going back to Fripp to to a degree he's kind of like um He's very similar in the sense of like like you're talking about Sun Ra or Bernie Whirl or Herbie Hancock, where he tried to really expand the um the to- you know the tones of the guitar with um the guitar synth because a lot of the tones you hear on like Discipline are actually guitar synth and it, it's interesting how there's um and he had a, I think it was like a like a Roland GR500.
0: Yeah, that thing's awesome. That thing was like not understood, but you can do like if you could ever find oh, one. Yeah. they're like unbelievable yeah, it, what they can do. They're just like you know, I guess Jazz has had one too, but and they used it. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was crazy, and the tracking technology too, because uh, it's amazing how well the, those things tracked. Because with a guitar, obviously, it's not like a like a keyboard where you directly trigger the the tone. It's like it has to actually like interpret that analog signal through the pickup. Yeah you know it's somehow
0: they had like a din they had like a din connection didn't have midi back then they had roland has this yeah. din thing before midi they had this din connection that allowed you to connect things and it actually worked but it was super expensive so now everybody got it but if you and the thing about the cool thing about roland stuff is most of their stuff still works like if you go find something from that time most of the stuff if you go find used rollins from the seventies even the sixties, they still freaking work i mean you you sometimes you might have to get them like cleaned up, but a lot of
1: them will turn yeah on, they see will that's actually still work that's 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 <laughs> how it should be that's like that's, that's just like the you know if it's if it's not if it's not broke you know don't don't fix it and it's yeah that's yeah
0: because the build quality on it is like yeah. that typical like high end Japanese stuff. Is it's just like the Roland early Roland's are just so dead reliable. And it's like if I go to a gig, my Roland's are like my main choice because like you bring them on the road, yes. they're like good really, really road worthy, and they don't like. But you gotta be careful with like the American sense. I love my profit. I love my Moog, mode, but Moogs and Roland and Prophets really? are kind of sensitive to the road compared to like a Yamaha and a Roland. They're like dead reliable. Like they they, they don't they're they're not that fussy, and you can. You can knock them around and they don't get messed up, but but the the, the American scents are more delicate. You got to be careful with them because like they totally yeah crap no on I
1: them. I, <laughs> I you, found a very similar thing with um <laughs> Roland uh amp guitar amps as well. Just you know a lot of people they hear the players I'm interested in, and they're like oh you're probably like into tube amps and I'm like actually no I prefer Roland solid state amps. Um, mainly just because of the the practicality of them, but also um, how clean they are, how loud you can play and how clean they can stay, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, what's interesting, because one of my Roland keyboards actually has Boss Stomp pedals built into it, right? So I actually have a a kind of 10-year-old Roland, a a Juno GI, and it actually has, the Boss is actually a part of Roland, and so this particular synth had a bunch of supernatural guitar oh, wow. sounds from the guitar synth in it. So they actually put the guitar sounds in it and then they put the pedals in it. So I have like, like a hundred different <coughs> types of stomp boxes in this synth. And it can actually, when I do my guitar sounds, it's actually running the supernatural, like guitar synth sounds through these pedals. And so, and then it uses supernatural modeling. So, when I use my pitch bender wheel, I can trigger feedback. I can trigger like uh, all kinds of interesting modulation that actually oh, wow. mimics real guitars. And I'm a kind of a frustrated guitar player. I never got to learn how to do it, but I, because I have this rolling, I'm able to do it on my set.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> and that's
0: that's kind of my 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 main feature of what I do as the ghost is when I do live shows, people can't believe that it's actually not a guitar player. It's like yeah. rolling doing that. You know,
1: I've heard some of your stuff. I'm like, yeah, I, I thought the same thing because honestly, I thought a lot of the stuff you had was like a like a like a like a, like a guitar player that you had sample or you had played it yourself. But damn, it's 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 interesting seeing um the process you. behind this. I love I love that stuff.
0: Well, my brother picked up a guitar, we, when we were both going to be in a band, I was like 15. I picked up the guitar. I couldn't get it. And then I went and got a Roland at a, like a, at a pawn shop. I found like a, like a Juno 106 that was like messed up. And then I'm kind of a, a hacker and I kind of figured out how to fix it. And I found the parts and I fixed it. And then I was like, man, this is, this is the coolest thing. But then I was like, Every time I look at my brother and like, he's playing the guitar, it's like I want to be able to jam those kind of who power chords. I'm like, how am I going to do that? And then I just kept on, I started buying stomp boxes and, and adding them to my synth. And I get like, you know, delay pedals and you know, like fuzz tones and wah-wahs. And they're like, wow, I can actually get this synth to mimic what my brother's doing on the guitar. And I just kept on trying to find synths that could do that. And I finally found that it's Juno GI that actually had the stomp boxes built in. And then I said, whoa, then I can just model all these boxes. And I started back working really hard yeah. to get it to work. Cause like, I love guitar, you know, and I like it and I want it to be in my music, but I don't have a guitar player, so I got to do it myself. And so, wow. yeah, that's how the
1: story. No, I, I love hearing that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always fascinating how um, a lot of there's been some keyboard players that are really able to that have fooled me. Like you know, because that's my main instrument is guitar, and there's some keyboard players that have really fooled me into thinking that oh, what they're playing is a guitar. And uh, you're 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 now added to the list. Kirby Hancock was one on um on um Chameleon. I I, th- I thought that um mm-hmm. I swear I thought that the one part was like a guitar, and then uh, another one was the uh, keyboard player from um Soft Machine. I forget his name. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I actually was following a lot of guys that do this stuff, and uh, and I was always like trying to figure out what they were doing. And then like, when I really got keyed in, I, I talked to this guy like at Sweetwater like ten years ago, and I said, "Hey, you know, this is what I'm trying to do." And he's like, "Oh, you know, this Juno happens to be built to do this." And it's like the it's like Roland has it has this interesting history. They'll make a very specific scent for a very specific thing. And it's really good for that. It might not be good for other things, but it's good for that. And and then I was like, wow. And I, I kept on looking at other things, or like trying to find chords or overheims. They would do it, and they, I couldn't really find nothing. I was like, but this is the one. And then I just went and got it. And it and if I, a bunch of years, I've been like wanting to let it go, but then it's like it actually is a big part of my sound, and I haven't been able to let it go because it's like it still does what. Yeah, I want it to no, they they
1: the, <laughs> yeah, no, it's. It's crazy, and um, you know, my my girlfriend is uh, she plays keyboards, and uh, her main instrument is, is a Roland, and um, it's amazing the quality of samples they have. Like, she has strings, and she does she'll do like orchestration sometimes, and like sometimes she'll fool me. I'll think because I also play cello, I'll legit think that that was like an orchestra. Um, but
0: yeah, their their supernatural sounds are very good. They got really good PCM like samples on something like yeah. the new like uh the new phantoms have really interesting engines they have like i think they have this virtual piano engine they can mimic like a german grand piano or a stein They can do like and you can you can get really crazy on the settings you oh, can wow. like, change the lid height you can change the tuning of the string on every note you can get really crazy you can change like things that you could tune on a real piano it actually has a control for like almost every aspect of the piano. And so because of that, it's not a sample. It's actually a, a, it's kind of like the way the 808 is not a sample drum machine. It's an it's a analog drum machine that replicates drums through synthesis. And the V piano takes the idea from the 808 and applies it to a piano. And then when it does that, you get this very unique piano sound that you can totally customize to yourself, and it doesn't sound like anything else because it's actually like a, a subtractive synthesis piano that you totally kind of dial in and then it's that's not, genius that it's makes sense because out. you know
1: really when you break it down it's yeah. the the formants and the the construction of any instrument that's what really yeah. like defines in the fact that they they're able to like break it down to the science that's fascinating that's 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 really fascinating um
0: That's the cool thing about synthesis is when you get into like additive synthesis or subtractive synthesis, part of what I like is I don't yeah. just like to use the presets. I like to design the sound. And, and, and synthesizer, part of being a synthesizer player is, is not just being a keyboard player. Oh, yeah. It's when you're a synthesizer player, you design the sound. And so you actually don't just take the patch. I'm using patch 101. I actually built patch 101. And cool. maybe I spent like three hours building patch 101 you know and that's part of my song is i actually spent all that time actually designing that pad or that patch because i wanted to have a unique sound for my song you know and and that's like the art of of synthesis is that's what i try to get kids into when i'm like you know teaching kids about like music is is the sound yeah
1: no i i agree and it's um it's similar for me as a guitar player i used to be one of those i used to be a very pedal heavy guitar player and for me, I would like spend hours, and uh, I did get into sound synthesis. I really got into it. I even bought like an analog synth, and um, like I, I took like a like a class that basically was like uh, it was like basically like a synthesis class, and I try to apply that.
0: Well, so doing like a whole subtractive method, and you learn from that exactly, that exactly.
1: And, and I try to like so apply that too. to like how when I would design my board, okay. uh, you know, for for my guitar playing stuff like that, and it's. It's 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 really it's really fascinating stuff. And for me, I, I try to um, think like a sound designer as well on guitar, you know. And and you know, Fripp was he he thought that way.
0: Yeah, he's like Fripp is like Yeah, they, I can see why you like Fripp because that's his whole head heads in that kind of space. You know, that he was like a sound designer on the guitar. Like he has a lot. He was like he's the same thing as like any other like great synthesis yeah you know he's doing the same kind of things that like bernie War was doing that sunrise was doing that uh you know uh i always get it like the yes uh everybody knows his name um you know who i'm talking about i always try to think everybody knows him. um yeah yeah well like if tony oh James, uh yeah uh, yeah Rick, yes, uh, Rick Wakeman. I
1: forget his name rick wakeman's a funny ass dude
0: yeah rick wakeman I mean, yeah rick wakeman i mean yeah he's funny as hell i mean he actually has to be in um uh, no he he they wanted him to join <laughs> Ozzy's band uh, the, and then then the one of the guys in the band <laughs> like, he, like he's not heavy metal <laughs> Yeah, but like he could add to the band. like, no, they'll kill us.
2: Oh, if that would have been interesting. Going
0: to Black Sabbath, they'll kill us. And he actually, yeah, he actually played on a track. And then Ozzy asked him to be in a band. And then Tony, I, Iomi? Player, I always forget, really? I he is, but he said, like, hell no. Yeah, Tony said, like,
1: I oh like man, that's weird. That's weird coming to from Tony Iomi because he was in Jethro <laughs> Tull for a little bit, he left Sabbath for Jethro."
0: Yeah, I know. But I guess he got so into the, the, the heavy metal crowd that they wouldn't be in the sense. I mean he actually it was interesting because it was in a session where he was actually playing on a track. And then, you know, Ozzy wants him to join the band and then like he's like, No That's that's strange. But he's playing on the track. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like okay, well, no. too many drugs that day, I don't know. <laughs> But it was like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense because he's on the track. He's in the studio right now. <laughs> he just did it. He just laid it down. Ozzy thinks he's cool.
1: Yeah, uh, no, no, it's it's fascinating. He's one of those guys. Um, he's so, been on a lot of stuff. Like, I didn't realize he was on uh, "Hunky Dory" by Bowie. I didn't realize he was all over that. All.
0: Yeah, he seems like a yeah. Jimmy Page kind of guy. He didn't know he's doing Page stuff. You know, Page was like all over the place before when we in the Yardbird time. You know, he was playing on everybody's stuff, um, and you know, he, I didn't know he did that. I didn't know Tony, Tony Iommi did that, but like a lot of guys did that. I mean, Clapton was doing that, running around doing that kind of stuff too. But um, yeah, it's just like like everybody. I mean, Hendrix was a yeah. session player. He's playing with the freaking Isley brother. And they're playing like little. I have actually got a whole album of him playing with the Isley Brothers and Lil Richard and all these soul bands. And it's really interesting because you hear pieces of like what's going to be on Purple Haze stuff. You see him actually trying to sneak it in to these soul songs. You hear these kind of riffs, and like that. Really? Oh yeah. Well, and a lot of the blues guys hated him. him. (laughs) A lot of the blues
1: guys just like hated him because he was just so.
0: Well, because you would actually oh, yeah. try to throw yeah. those lines, and it don't fit the song. And, and it, it, now it's interesting to find the songs, but you can see like, well, that doesn't really work. But but it's cool. Could you actually yeah. get a yeah? no, absolutely. Of, are you it, yeah, I've seen.
1: I've heard some of that stuff too, and it's it's fascinating because um, it, it's basically Hendrix without like all the distortion, and it's just like it's it works. It sounds great, but
0: he's doing he's doing some really interesting stuff he's doing kind of some like like uh like the second album he's doing is less distorted and he's doing some kind of like chord arrangements that are kind of similar to um you know Boulder's love type chord arrangements um and you're like, wow, that's pretty cool he's actually trying this yeah. stuff out then
1: well, you know, he was the first sound designer, which is, oh yeah,
0: he's awesome. I love Boulder's is love. Yeah, it's like Bold's is love is just got some really awesome chord. Cool, cool, I mean, like little wing and stuff. The the, the chord cho- choices he made and the in the tone of it not being as distorted on some of the stuff is like really beautiful stuff. And I'm like, wow, that's I always liked. You know, there's this one hundredth record that we've been trying to get forever called Black Gold, and he was right. just on like a twelve string acoustic in a hotel, and he put down a four track of all these acoustic songs. And they're they're awesome. I got bootlegs of them, but and 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 the family just keeps on sneaking oh, wow. out like one song every other year. And there's like ten of them. And they actually belong on a like an idea called Black Gold, which was gonna be this acoustic album. And it's, it's like it's brilliant and it should be put out in its full version. But like typical of yeah. any estate, they're kinda of trying to make yeah. it um instead of doing it the right way. <laughs> You know, but, uh, yeah, I, I do like Hendrix's, like, uh acoustic work. It's really uh, kind of under, underheard. Yeah, because if really anything, good. before everything,
1: here. he was a, uh, he's a great songwriter. And that's the thing I think people need to remember is that he's this amazing oh, guitar player. And, you know, we're talking about Sound designers on guitar. He was the first one, you know, and um before all the guys, uh, everybody. Oh, yeah.
0: He, he sounds like a synthesizer. I, I guess like yeah. a lot of times with my synthesis, I, I point to Hendrix. And they say, well, he's not a, he's not a keyboard player. It doesn't matter. He, he's doing tones that are very similar to what any progressive yeah. synthesis is going to want to do. Because you know, he's done stuff that's like, wow. There's stuff that we try to do. You know, I've talked to tons of synth players who are always trying to pick up tones from, like, um, from, from Electric Lady. Because you know, we're like, wow, this, that, that's so cool. You know and we're trying to find ways to get our modes to do that, you know. And we and were like, Yeah, I mean, because you just brilliant. It's it is what you want, you want somebody to be that, kind yeah. Of and,
1: and and you know, exactly. And it's it's funny, it reminds me of um, this interview with George Duke where he was talking about how um, he, he had this huge, he had this when he was in Zappa's band, he um, kind of had like this problem where Zappa pulled out a I think it was an ARP or something like that. It was it was one of the early ones with a pitch uh, pitch bend on it.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, and he was oh, just like, "Why did hard why'd hard you hard bring hard out hard this toy?" Or, yeah. And uh, Zap was like, "Well, you know, just just play it. I'm paying you money. Just just play the damn thing, you know." <laughs> and uh, you know, and then um, you know, uh, George Duke yeah, always yeah. wanted to play like Johnny Guitar Watson. and he always wanted to do like bends, blues bends, and stuff like that. And he realized that, oh. I can finally do that now with this, this thing, you know?
0: Yeah. Between the ARP and the Model D, it gave yeah. keyboard players the ability to solo like guitar players. And you know and the ARP was kind of cool because it had more controls over the, over the synthesis. So you could, it had this thing that like an envelope follower that allows you to do kind of this kind of, kind of up and down voltage thing. And then if you combine that with the modulation and pitch bend yeah. wheels, you can do a lot of guitar type stuff. Um, cuz it gives you the, that kind of control that gives you like pitch bending control over the notes and modulation control over the notes. And and then when keyboard players found out that we could actually do that, then we were like, "Damn. Now I can I like kind of then yeah. want to go and get a guitar and jump up in front of everybody." <laughs> <laughs> Cause he's like I yeah. Don't know how I can actually yeah no definitely well
1: <laughs> it's kind of weird for me as a guitar player because um i feel like for me uh like i'm i'm very much influenced by guitar players and stuff like that but to a large degree it's it's mainly um like piano players and keyboard players just because they always were a lot harmonically sharper than than guitar players guitar players i mean let's be honest the majority of it's you know power chords you know we only have like,
2: yeah, you got
0: to be nuanced. Yeah, trying to find a nuanced guitar players. Like, yeah, got, like a Robbie Robertson. I think he's a really nuanced guy. I think he's, yeah, that that's no. kind of cool. Yeah, he's not. He doesn't showboat. He yeah. actually, like deserves the song. You know, I think that's cool. And Curtis Mayfield is yeah. another one where he's not showboating, but he is. But but it's real, so laid back. But if you look at the complexity of yeah. what he was doing, and then he had that falsetto voice. So he's got this false of voice he's got to concentrate on, and then he's doing these unbelievable kind of laid-back runs
2: that
1: yeah. are
0: fantastic, but they're not trying to blow you out the water.
1: Yeah, so and that, that kind of reminds me a lot of – um, there's one guitar player that does that I'm a huge fan of. He's, he's kind of like a modern jazz guy, uh, Bill Frizzell. Yeah, he his playing is very much oh yeah like akin to that as well, where it's – it's very harmonically advanced, but it's not like in your, it's not in your face. You know, he's, it, there's still the space. He's kind of like the Bill Evans of yeah. guitar to an extent.
0: Yeah. That's really hard. It's yeah. awesome to do that. Cause you kind of got to take your ego a little back to do that. And it's hard for some guys to do that cause they want to kind of showboat a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, but you actually are still doing it it's just more nuanced and it's like once you learn that you can be more nuanced and still be kind of a threat you know yeah you're like then you get you get well,
1: my guitar teacher um product. he's a gotcha. he's a friend yeah. with bill frizzell my guitar teacher uh played on um uh trot mask replica is his name you know he's hey how you doing
0: yeah we have a i guess there's a max segment length length, and we hit it <laughs> oh true <laughs> so so but but it still saves it, but it just uh it actually once it hits it, it doesn't it, for some reason they don't give you a warning. it's just like, oh, we hit the max and you're done,
1: <laughs> oh true, true, there you go, Well, oh.
0: but that's cool. yeah that's... it still save the last segment I would just string it together,
1: gotcha, yeah, no problem, you yeah, no problem um, but yeah, no, I was just saying that um. Yeah, my guitar uh, teacher, he was uh, like a friend with uh, Bill Frizzell, and uh, he was just like, he said that the, you know, because when you really analyze his playing, it's actually more insane the more you think about it. You know, it's, 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 it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, I mean, part of
0: what I like doing lately is, um, doing what I call it, dirge electronic where I go below 60 BPM um, on my beats just because when I, then I can have a wide space, right? So I'm not trying to build these kind of bouncing beats. I'm actually trying to build these very wide-spaced kind of funeral march type of songs where you can, you can have more going on because you're going so slow that when you put the notes into the mix it kind of allows you to be a little bit more cinematic, you know, and more kind of like this, The it's just a wide, uh, I don't know, it's like an expressive way of doing it and be able to let the tones ring out. So if you have the chords, you can let the LFOs kind of play out. You can do all this stuff with the effects and it just allows you to build a sound that's not as, um, a lot of bands today are kind of focused on this, uh, Fat, fat you know 160 bpm 180 you know some go to like 200 kind to build it like the dance beats but i'm kind of doing this opposite
1: <laughs> no i th- i find that fascinating honestly i might i might try that out because um there's a real power to play and i think that's something that's being lost nowadays is just the power to the ability to play like, slow like like largo like tempos or like on tempos and stuff like that you know
0: yeah, I mean, that with polyrhythmic, stuff, I just got this new moog called a subharmonicon. And it does like polyrhythmic and subharmonics. So it can do multiple rhythms at once. It has like four sequencers that can run at different times. And then it has subharmonic generators that can run in subharmonic keys that are not normal Western keys. And you can do Eastern keys, and all kinds of different keys. And so it does allow, it's like a total machine if you want to like rip up the rules <laughs> because it does all this polyrhythmic stuff. It does all this subharmonic stuff that is not is not normal. And the whole yeah. machine is designed to just do that. It, that's all it does. And so if you base your song on that and then you run it like under 60 BPM, and you're at like 40 BPM and then you use a subharmonicon, you get all this strange stuff going on. And it feels That's like, crazy. you know, a John Carpenter film.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. You said it does, like, microtonal stuff, too?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a sub... It can do subharmonics. It has six subharmonic oscillators and four sequencers that can run at different times. Wow. And so then you can have the, the all the times kind of colliding or kind of triggering other sequencers. So you can have the time timing of one sequencer trigger another sequencer off the beat so it can cause sequencer two to kick off on the third beat or the first beat or sequencer four to kick off on the, one, on the second beat and because you, you can trigger all these sequencers doing different things and kicking off different tones and some of them can be running in harmonics and some are going to main tone generator it, it's, it's kind of based on this old synth from the 20s called a tri, tritonium which was a subharmonic synth that it was built in the 20s
3: and yeah. it, didn't, it didn't really
0: go anywhere. But but the, this Moog engineer a couple of years ago said he got really into that tritonium and said, I want to build that. And so it just came out in the last year where it's basically a replication of the tritonium. And, and it's like pretty cool.
1: That's nuts. Yeah. I um, Yeah. I, I remember hearing about that. Uh, actually, the me and, uh, me and Amari uh, met in a midi class and uh, that was like one of the little sub modules that we had was this um, on that Trutonium. it's it's crazy um that they're able to develop something like that like like way back Yeah then. they have
0: a lot of niche sense and that that's a niche sense it's a, it's a modular synth it's a, it's a little niche but it's um it's all cv controlled and it does have midi but it it's a super groove machine and if you tie it to like a their analog drum machine. because I have an analog mode drum machine? Card yeah. drummer from another mother, and it's a full VCO drum machine. It doesn't even have MIDI. You have to do everything CB. Um But but if you link it to this subharmonicon, you can have all this interesting stuff happening. Because you can trigger like all these different drum sounds all at once uh, off of the off the off of the um, subharmonicon. And then you could trigger sounds coming off of my grandmother or off of mother 32 or any of my other modes, but this allows you to control all your modes and get all these unique tones, you know, in an analog sense, you can create like kicks, you can create bass drums, but then you can create leads and pads and then you can mix them all in like a, like a percussive type of nature. So you can do percussive synthesis and it makes like modular synthesis and percussive synthesis and subharmonics and all this crazy stuff. And it just, you know, that becomes like what you just go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> and, and, you know, with synthesis, that's kind of what, how we get inspired is that our, our tools have so much variation that you can just go off the wall. And that's why I don't really need like a DAW to do that. I'd rather do that, that kind of clip creation on a subharmonicon. Than on any DAW, you know, I, I'd rather do that on my DFAM or any of my modes. Like, it, it, it's more interesting to me to come up with the beats on these machines because it just creates stuff that you, you don't really hear.
1: Yeah, no, that that's fascinating. It it kind of reminds me of um, uh, like the Buklas Bukla yeah, synthesizer Buchla's a little bit.
0: Bad. Yeah, they're awesome.
1: <laughs> those are those are hard to run by. I feel like. Um, like I watched a documentary on um, on uh, the the difference between like bukla and like. Um, uh, he like just couldn't Oak.
0: market mean He had too much of a, of a California attitude.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and why I think didn't they say that back then they would put like a tab of acid that you could like like lick or something like that, <laughs> yeah. like on the side. Yeah, of- I
0: mean the thing is that the buklas are super experimental. Yeah, um, and like experimental musicians love them. But like Moog was able to be, be become the pr- premier synth on the market just because it was more accessible. But the yeah. Buchlas, if you get into, into really experimental music, you got to get a Buchla because the Buchlas can do things that really they don't work with subtractive synthesis. They they use additive synthesis, which handles like it starts from a sine wave, and then you you do you it's not subtractive synthesis. It's this concept of taking a sine wave and taking the harmonics and designing it based on that, rather than the subtractive synthesis of actually taking like a square wave or a triangle and kind of running it through that workflow, through the filter, through the envelopes, where the, the, the can code like multi-directions. You can start the sound design from like the middle of the chain. And you can go either any way you want, left or right, or up and down or whatever. And that is a little harder to understand and people didn't grasp it because it's harder to design for but but if you do work it it does things that you really can't do on a, on a mug yeah which is kind of cool
1: <laughs> yeah i remember like kind of like when i found out about the book i was like wow this is this is crazy!" and it really sounds it sounds alien it sounds like an alternate like universe like um there's that they're one... good for
0: soundtracks. Soundtracks, yes. the guys like to use them because they're very good for atmospherics. They're good for special effects. They're good for, like, really strange ambient things that work with film. So yeah. a lot of film guys, uh composers will use them because they're very good for that. But they're good in any electronic music. If you want to throw some kind of weird tone in, they're, they're super good for that, you
1: know? Yeah, no, I remember hearing... um What's that? There's that one song, um, "Silver Apples on the Moon." I think is it what's called. I, th- I think. Yeah, man.
2: yeah.
0: But also, like a guy that uses it is um, like like a, um, a dead mouse uses them.
1: Oh really? I didn't know that. Yes, yeah,
0: he, he uses a lot. Of, he uses them a lot. He likes them. Yeah, like, he has a bunch of them. There, some of them are super expensive. Yeah. The, the real ones, like he has some, some of the best ones. He's got some like original designs from the '70s, like a really good one, hard to find ones. In super good condition, and he he uses them a lot because they can do things that no other synth can do. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know him and uh, Trent Reznor are big, really big, and like like just like archived like older like.
0: Yeah, Reznor's got a massive room of bugs, He's got like ones and system ones and twos and memory modes and multiple like mini modes, but he's got the big ones, like the big model ones. Model tens. These are the ones that look like rooms. So they're like a big, like mainframe computers.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. those are the crazy modes Like some of those modes are thirty thousand to one hundred twenty
1: thousand. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, those modules. Well, and it's crazy because um, you can like uh, it's it's fascinating with 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 a lot of those those modules. Is that like that those modules like they're really expensive to buy, but. You can go down to the hardware store and buy a lot of the stuff to, to build, them. build them.
0: Yeah, you can build them. Yeah, you got to know how to do it. That's yes. the secret sauce. Is like Moog was like like an artist when it yeah. comes to designing those boards and designing how they came together. He, he somehow had like the mind of an artist when he's an engineer. Yeah, and and the way those are put together, there's something about them. They, the variance between even the same model, like you get a Moog Model D, like right, from '74, and you get one from '75, they don't sound the same. Um, they can actually sound very different, and it's kind, of, kind of there's variance in the design specifications. So when they build them, <clears throat> they end up being like guitars. Yeah, and certain years have certain tones, or certain you know they use different materials, they use different things on the circuit board, or they change the board a little bit. And boom, it doesn't sound the same.
1: Well, there's a human quality in in, in making it. I know, like with um, speaking about guitars, like you you look at like the original PAF humbucker pickups. You know, they wouldn't have consistent amounts of time they would wrap the the wire around the coil. So yeah, you would,
0: that has a lot to do with it.
1: Yeah, so you get, and I'm sure it was the same thing with with uh, you know the the original Mogues, is that you know they that they're kind of. Um, not that there was like not quality check, it was quality check, but you get some yeah, a, a
0: amount of variation. Yeah. The thing is like when you have the transistor based modes, there's a lot of like uh it's not room for error, but it's like the tolerances that were allowed. Right. So you had a certain level of tolerance when you're building it that you could be in and say, Okay, that's still a Model D. Yeah. But because of that, they sound different. Yeah, and they act different. And even the new ones. They actually say in the manual that this was hand built in North Carolina, and it's going to have a little variance from model to model. It says it right in the manual.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
0: and actually, when you have your Moga, like my Moga says, the way it takes like 20 minutes to warm up. If you play it before it's warmed up, it will behave differently than when it's warmed up.
1: Yeah, I love that stuff because it, it's like a it, it's like an organism. You know, it's it's like yeah. that with tube amps too. You know, in a lot of um. Guitar equipment, especially the tube amps, is a very, very similar thing. Like you play a tube amp when it's barely warmed up, it doesn't—it sounds interesting. I won't say it sounds bad, but it sounds interesting. You play a thing when it's been like sitting there, and you know it, it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. So a
0: lot of times, like the old mugs, they'd like to leave them on, yeah, for like maybe like a half hour, or an hour before to play, just to get it to where it needed to be. Yeah. And, but then, then there are sometimes there's some cases where like Emerson would have different modes turned on or turned off because he he wanted you know like that quality in some songs he needed that initial warm-up sound so you actually have one sitting there that wasn't you know that's gonna be at warm-up level and another one at warm-up and use the different ones with a different sound <laughs> and, and it's kind of interesting i used to read about like how they used to do stuff and you know how they had to have like multiple models set up with different patches because there's no there was no patch memory. So you had to have like a bunch of boards all over the place, all set up. Yeah. With what you were going to play because there's no patch memory. It's not like a modern synth where you say, well, pick patch 101. You actually had to have it dialed in that way because you're doing it from song to song. You had to have each board set up for the different song.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's a very intimidating process. You know, I um, yeah, that is a very like scary process. I feel like for, you know, a lot of synth players because it's like, like you said, there's not a memory catch. It's like you have to remember, like exactly how it goes. But in a weird way, that I feel like it kind of generated a like a, a level of like, um, improvisation with the yeah, you know the yeah, programming. It
0: definitely does.
1: You know, because I noticed uh, with Bernie Worrell, I saw him playing live. With a like a mini moog, and this is like he was like less Claypool or something like that. And um, he was he was like half the, just that was him programming the synth, but he was like doing it in this way where like it puts you in this in this trance where you felt like this sound was like you know evolving. You're 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 on that journey with him, it was interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what I love about like my I have a grandmother with is a modern version of like a mini moog, yeah, and it, it's it's all VCO. And it's all C V, but it's actually normalized so you don't have to have the wires to connect it. So it actually will will actually generate a tone without having the C V wires connected. Okay. But but every control is so spaced out, it's kind of like like a drawstring on an organ. You when you play these mugs the way they're built, like what they're built with a Model D type of workflow, as you're playing that you can tweak everything. You know, so so if you're playing you can do a filter sweep and use that like a portamental or something, like right? you can go and take my like frequency and max it out or max out my oscillator on the filter. that it goes to a total fuzz tone and then I can bring it back. And, oh, and wow. you kind of can, after a while that like, you know where the dial should be kind of like on your guitar or something, you know where your dial should be yeah. and you just, you can, the, the, the controls become part of the, like the keys. Yes. And it, it gives you all these. And the cool thing about a synth is that I got like 40 controls on my deck that when I'm playing, I can tweak any of them. And if I feel like doing something, I can kind of go off and then come back. It's even more than on an organ. And so then it gives you a lot of power that when you play live, you've got a lot of things that you can do to be nuanced or blow people out or do all kinds of interesting things that. Like, sometimes you don't even know what you want to do, but you just kind of, like, you go with what it's doing. And that's the real cool thing about modes. Sometimes you don't know what it's going to give you, and then you go with it. As a musician, because you hear something that gives you some harmonic. It's like, whoa, I didn't expect that, and I'm going to go with it. You know, and you just go off of what it gave you. And because it gives you different things all the time, or you can kind of get the range of what those things are going to be, it just makes your performance it more it feels it just feels it's just enjoyable it's very enjoyable to play my Moog compared to some of my other scents just because of the way it behaves yeah it, it feels like it's another person almost like
1: yeah and that that's the thing about about mog is that it like in a in a way it's almost like um like a post human instrument it's like a, it's like a cyborg it's kind of like a cyborg like you say it's because uh, you know the essence of it is, it's something that's supposed to be this very, very futuristic thing. But it has this very, very like organic like quality to it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it just allows you to kind of like you know, it just feels like a like an organic instrument. Like like you know that it can it can kind of it's like a living, breathing organism. Yeah. You know, and and people say, well, how yeah. can a synth be that? Because the synth like well, yeah, we, we well, maybe a DX seven doesn't feel like that yeah. <laughs> but 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 like a mode does <laughs> you know Not that i like to come down to dx7 the dx7 is a cool sense for what it can do it can do really good organs yeah um, um but 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 there's something about like i, I kind of was upset when the dx7 destroyed a lot of other the dx7 actually knocked profit like out of business yeah it, it, it knocked moog out of business um and so, for a last synthesis, we kind of have a little love hate with it because it came along and it destroyed like the whole analog landscape of their American synth manufacturers. Yeah, well, and it took them a long time to come back from it.
1: Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like um, it's kind of like like the CGI. I feel like of, of keyboards, you know, to a yeah, degree yeah. that sense it's like it's like okay, this thing has bought us a lot of possibilities, but it's. It's taken out a lot of the quality, um, the, the the happy accidents that happened, you know, the, the organic nature, you know.
0: Well, it just gave people like you know, like Roland had been making dead reliable sense, but the DX7 came along with its FM synthesis, and it was able to do all these like presets that just like made working musicians' life easier. Yeah. So, so they suddenly had all these presets. They sound real good. And they don't have to tweak them a lot and they can just use them to make songs and they don't have to do all the work they had to do on the book yeah. or the profit. And and it made it easier, more reliable. And the record companies liked it because they could sound the same all the time. Yeah. And then, but then what it did is it killed, it kind of, kind of the, like what the Daw did. It's the beginning of this Daw type of thing where everybody starts sounding the same, yeah. you know, because it did got the variation out. And what's cool is they go, now sequ- you know, sequential circuits with the profit. It's been back. They've been back for like fifteen years. You know, they brought back the profit five this year, and the profit ten. Moog has been building, you know, monophonic and polyphonic analog synths for the last five years, and tons of people are using them. So basically, all the American manufacturers. You know, Oberheim's even back. Um, you know, so there's so all the classic American synth manufacturers that built new wave machines are actually building those machines again. So I you know I've been hearing a lot of bands from Europe that have taken advantage of these. Uh haven't heard as many American bands taking advantage of it. Um I know they're there but they're not they're not kicking uh but the, the fact that these things are back I've been waiting for like the next like Joy Division. <laughs> <laughs> That's like yeah. why i keep trying to do it myself. <laughs> yeah, you know, but uh, yeah, uh yeah, there's, there's so much gear out there that can do it now. There's not any for a band not to try to do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree, and um, yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. Now I'm 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 waiting for for a, a band like a like a new Joy Joy Division to to come out. You know, like in in that sense too. Where they're 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 going back yet they're going forward. You know.
0: Yeah, I just want somebody to take the fact that you can do the have all these awesome analog are back, monophonic and polyphonic, and you know, don't just run on a DAW when you can actually have this mode build something very powerful or profit build something very powerful and, and come up with a really like, like a Brian Eno you know, low or heroes. You could, you could do like a new real you know you get bands like churches churches does it so i would yeah. say like a band like churches is actually using these synths and they they do do it um and they do have that new wave sound they're probably one of the, the most like uh like name heavy the heavy one that's actually broke through that's using these new synths is the fact that they do it but um i would just like to see more bands do it
1: <laughs> yeah i think there's um there's this like guy that uh like, this one composer I I can never pronounce his name, it's like one through point note uh I, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but he did like um he, he did soundtrack uh for um um a, a movie, uh Diamond movie with um Adam Sandler. I forgot, oh, he came okay. out. I forgot what it was called, but he uses uh some analog gear uh gear. It sounds it sounds insane. It, it reminds me a lot of um, Howard Shore's work with Cronenberg um, in the early 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, 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 that stuff, like, like video drum, it's got a very similar, like, quality where it's, it's it's got that organic, like, like you're talking about the Prophet 5, where it's, you know, polyphonic analog synth, um, you know, but it's, he's doing, like, a lot of, like, really interesting, like, harmonic stuff that's almost yeah,
0: like diving into the LFOs and doing all the like sub-harmonics So you can kick off like some of these synths can do like twelve LFOs per voice. You know they can go in, so you have all these like peaks and valleys happening after you press the key or before you press the key, and yeah. basically can trigger like arpeggiations without using an arpeggiator. So if you use like a, a low frequency oscillator to trigger like this envelope, these LFOs triggering, they can create rhythms. And if you have multiple LFOs on these analog synths, you're not even using a sequence or using the, the low-frequency oscillators to create clips. And you oh, can wow. have them kicking off a of keys. And you can like kind of program them to kick off a of certain keys or certain, you know, so it, it, it can, they can last after a note or happen you know a little bit before the note uh, you know the keep on triggering them and then you can create all this interesting stuff um and a lot of like old school new wave is kind of built off of doing all these kind of lfo tricks and arpeggiator tricks where you you basically didn't have a sequencer but you used the arpeggiator and lfo to build these really evolving rhythms um that is kind of like a a new wave composing trick. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of classic new wave songs use that kind of capability.
1: Yeah, I wonder if, um, that's crazy. I didn't, I didn't know that. I wonder if, um, you know, it's I was listening to the police, um, yesterday. I was listening to, um, uh, uh, Raptor on your finger and I'm yeah yeah that's if uh, that's, they were using something similar to that. Um, to to kind of create that yeah, sound. Yeah, it
0: sounds like yeah. I think if I I know what you're talking about. I think that, yeah, there, there a lot of stuff is arpeggi- using the arpeggiators on these synths, like the Juno 106 and the Juno 60. I think the 106, right? The one well, no, the 60 actually has this arpeggiator that tons of bands use to create these evolving things, along with the LFOs. And um, you can actually tie it to MIDI. You could actually take the arpeggiator. And then link it to another synth, and have it free run a pattern while you played chords on the instrument. So you could have another synth kicking off the arpeggiation on that synth, and then use that synth to run the chords, and, and it, it, it creates these really interesting new wave compositions that you can. You, if you hear them, you kind of can understand what I'm saying. You just you hear these kind of well, New Order did it a lot. Like, if you listen to a lot of New Order songs, Yeah, they're, they're using the sequencers and the LFOs to create these evolving uh, patterns. Yeah, like like Blue Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they they And they would, it's the fact the way these analog synths work is that you could create these interesting patterns. And, you know, the New Order was really good at doing that. You know, they, coming out of Joy Division, they just like their keyboard player was just phenomenal at actually kind of inventing that style of how to use that, that arpeggiator to do that. He's like the first guy to actually really started doing that. And then tons of other bands like the Cure and Echo and the Bunnymen and, and, you know, all the other new wave bands, Duran, Duran, Depeche Mode, they all kind of took what he was doing on songs like Blue Monday, uh, you know, and, and actually continued it. Um, i would always dive into that how how they do that and i use a lot of sequencers and lfos and stuff to trigger trigger those kind of patterns because that's part of what i part of by the appeal of new wave is like figuring out how to create interesting patterns like that on these that's
1: that's crazy it reminds me a lot of um uh, there's this guitar player um called david torn he kind of something very very similar where there's a lot of like uh like triggering going on where he'll play one note and uh it'll trigger like a reverb but the reverb will have like an like an arpeggiation. It's really fascinating mm-hmm. stuff. I, I don't know it's it's kind of I'm wondering if the basically what you're talking about is like something similar to like the, the process that I hear him do um with his guitar playing. It's fascinating.
0: Yeah it's into like Keith Townsend is famous for like the Bob O'Reilly sequence which is a combination of his guitar going into an ARP 2600 envelope follower so he actually took his guitar he fed it because the cool thing about the ARP is you could actually plug a guitar into the yeah. ARP and then have the guitar go into the filter but not only did it go into the filter you could have it go into a random voltage generator yeah. and the envelope follower so if you rooted the guitar, and that's what, like, Who Are You? and the song Relay actually, like, ARP 2600 experiments of using random voltage and an envelope follower, with the guitar being the trigger. Oh, wow, that's
2: crazy. And, and,
0: and, yeah, that's why Pete becomes, like, a really awesome synth player, or synth designer, in his combination work of taking his guitar and, and, and creating sequences, like the one good Fooled Again sequence in the Barbara o'reilly sequence and the re-relay re, um, sequence by using the arp to do that
1: wow that's um that reminds me a lot of um I, I think brian eno did that when he was in um with the uh, filmmaking and uh rock music too
0: yeah yeah he does that a lot he did it a lot yeah and that he kind of contributed what pete was doing i think he kind of took it from pete.
1: yeah no definitely <laughs> definitely but it's it's interesting how that sound, because I've tried to like break down like a lot of the Phil Manzaneros, you know, sounds and he did he did with Frip do when he was kind of, like and you know, like especially like the album No Pussy Footing. Uh, from my I understand a lot of it would like, I mean he uh, he designed like the single Tronics, but um I think on one of the songs on the album he did like feed into like a like an ARP. Um I had an analog synth that I sold to a producer friend of mine, but. I always, always tried doing it, but I, I never could like uh, to, like to work. Well, the
0: ARP the ARP is like one of the best synths for doing that. Yeah, it it works really well. But some of the modern modes, like the Grandmother, has a real spring reverb, and you can bring um, the signal into the random voltage generator. Say so there's a there's a sample and hold random voltage generator on the Grandmother, and you can bring a guitar right into the um, Grandmother and act like it's a pedal. Oh wow! So you can take your guitar and feed it into the Moog. It's actually a quarter inch input, and you bring it in, and then you can have the grandmother. All of its modules can affect that guitar signal.
2: That's nuts.
0: And so if you if you if you bring it in, you can do that kind of Bob O'Reilly type of you know, mod- modulation on your guitar signal with a real spring reverb too. So there's a physical spring reverb in this synth.
1: Oh wow, that's nuts. That's crazy. And so
0: they get, a lot of a lot of the guitar players are using the grandmother because it actually has it, and then the matriarch actually has an analog delay. It's another synth, and you can use that like a pedal. So the matriarch actually has a not a digital delay, but a full analog delay.
1: Yeah, it's...
0: which is uh, kind, of, kind of that's kind of cool because the analog delays behave differently than digital.
1: They definitely have a have a warmer sound. They definitely have like a, it sounds like they almost have like a like a low-pass filter on them. That's what I've yeah, definitely noticed.
0: Like a, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the low-pass filter, and the Moogs are real famous for their low-pass filter. It's like the, one of the best low-pass filters in the market. Um, I do have a high-pass filter on one of my Moogs, but typically on Moogs, you tend to use the low-pass more. Uh, so I can't actually run a high-pass on it, but a lot of times you don't use it. <laughs> Profter 5s don't even have a high-pass filter. Sure. All they have are low. They, they did, you know, profit. Modern profits have a high pass filter, but the profit fives and tens never did. Uh, they just told, they're totally told the only low pass filter machines, which shows you that you can, can actually live without the high pass if you want to.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> well, the low pass gives you, I feel like, a lot more. It's a lot more practical than than a high pass. A high pass would be.
0: Yeah, a lot of since like we have a hard time figuring out how to use it. I've actually found ways to use it. I use it to create a band pass filter.
1: Okay. Like, that I makes sense. It, like, you can
0: use it and then use it to create a band pass filter. Then you can create like vocalizations. Yeah. So th- then you can create this kind of sounds like it, like you have format and it creates like interesting kind of, kind of like uh yeah, uh, like Peter Frampton type voice, voice, voice type of sounds from your notes. Oh, wow. <laughs> if, you, if you play with it enough, you can get that that to happen on the band pass. Like a talk these, box? But, um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. You can, yeah, it's just, it's just when you get into sound design, you can get so crazy, you start finding what these things do. And once you have access to them, it's like, oh, if I create a band pass filter with the low pass and high pass, I can create like void coder type sequences. And it's like, wow, that's, I didn't know I could do that. You <laughs> got to know the tool in your toolbox. It's like, wow, I can do that. It's like, it's just
1: like, yeah, no, that's, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty fascinating like stuff when you're, when you're able to just like, like break down like sounds to the point where you're able to, like, it's almost like alchemy. It's like sonic alchemy, you know?
0: Yeah. Once you figure out how to do something, then it becomes a tool in your toolbox. It's like, oh, if I do this, I get this. And it's kind of cool on a bogus. Like when people say computers, what you see is what you get. Like on a bogus, what you hear is what you get, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's, that's like you, you, you hit the dial and then boom, you're in the sound, you know? And then you're like, oh, okay. Just remember. So we end up taking pictures of our dials yeah. and putting them into like notebooks <laughs> and then saying this, this setting does this. <laughs> and this, then you go through your notebook and say okay like these are all my settings and that's kind of how modes work you have like little sheets with pictures showing the positions of all your dials and switches and then you say okay and then you remember and then if you keep on playing you just remember okay these positions do this and do that and then you kind of just become muscle memory that that, that does this and that does that you know But
1: yeah no that, that's uh. That, may, that makes sense, like uh, what you're talking about, because I had um, some sheets like that for um, when I did uh, on on that analog, it was an Arteria, it the Mini Brute.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good, I have one of those.
1: Yeah, good, so. really, really good synth. I, started, I, I wasn't really using it too much, so I sold it to a friend, but um, yeah. I, I have, got
0: the newer version, I got the 2S, which has a crazy sequencer on it.
1: Oh, really? Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, the two S is like a, a modular version. that has a modular patch bay, like a thirty-two bay oh, wow. patch bay on it. It's got like two oscillators, it's got a sixty-four step sequencer. Um, uh, but it's it's like it's it's really nice because it's like it's part of my modular rig. It's the latest version of it, but the two s is really cool cool because it, it actually is part of a Eurorack system. And so then you can you can use it to like uh the MIDI on it can then be used to move all your Eurorack stuff into the MIDI world. Oh, wow. So it links to your Eurorack modules. It actually has a place for a bunch of modules. So I have like a two-tiered module rack that is part of this Arteria thing called a 6U. And then the Mini Brew, it's on the base of it. And then I've got a bunch of Eurorack modules on the top of it. And it's got two rows of Eurorack modules, and then they all can integrate. So I've got like different company modules. Are in this rack that's this Arturia rack, and then it talks to the mini brute. And so then the mini brute can come become like the brain of all the Eurorack modules and allow you to kind of mix and match all these different things. And you basically can build a custom synth based on whatever you you're into. Um and it's kind of a like a kind of do-it-yourself type of thing, like a radio Shack type of thing. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, definitely.
0: <laughs> but, but it's like, it's, it's kind of the nature of a synthesis that it has a kind of ham radio, Radio Shack build it, rector set kind of idea. And in some of these modern sense, you can actually build it. You know, take the, the mini and the base, and then have all these open slots to put other things in. And then suddenly you have all these other things from other companies all talking to each other based on your your type of preference.
1: Yeah, it's it's very customizable. It's kind of crazy. I, a couple of years ago, I, I really got into synthesis. And, um, I put down the guitar for a little bit. I mainly focused on on synths and I was like going to start investing on, on building my own Euro rack and stuff like that. And I, I got really deep into I don't know what happened. But I just uh, I I ended up. I, I think I forgot what happened, but I ended up just like just gravitating back towards towards guitar. Well, you can go down
2: the
0: rabbit hole sometimes if you can't figure out how to record it. like If you can't get it controllable, it's an interesting experiment if you can't get it into your workflow. It's, it's like you've got to get it, like, all that Eurorack stuff, you got to find a way to get it into your recording workflow where you can consistently use it, or it's just going to be a toy. And I, I actually found a way to actually integrate it into my whole workflow, so then it becomes... Like part of my normal thing, so I don't actually get to the point where I say, "Well, I don't even use this; I'll get rid of it." Yeah,
1: yeah. I and think that's
0: I, what I, to some people is they don't get it integrated enough into a workflow.
1: That's yeah. That's pretty much that's pretty much what what happened to me. But it was, yeah, it was it's kind of the same thing. It's weird for me as a musician. I've become you know because I I got really into synthesis. I was you know I started as a guitar player. I got then I got. I got, basically, if I, I heard David Bowie's, like, Berlin trilogy when he did Low and Heroes and stuff like that, I discovered Brian Eno, and I said, okay, uh, maybe I shouldn't have been playing guitar, should have been playing this whole time, and then...
0: you got, got brought down, a lot of guys get pulled that way.
1: <laughs> yeah, and Then, but then I found out who Robert Fripp really was, and I was like, oh, well, okay, so I can still technically use my skills on guitar and just apply that now you know the stuff i learned from synthesis and use that on guitar and then that got me in like all these pedals and stuff and then and then i, I basically got like the jazz jazz harmony like modern harmony and i started like slowly like pulling the pedals away and now i'm kind of just i'm starting to reintegrate them back in i'm starting to get back in all that stuff um but yeah
0: yeah I think it's like you know because the synthesis has been my main thing so I just i I've some days I do gravitate to my eurorack and other days I was like oh I want to focus on the piano yeah. right so because I've got like so many tools but like the keyboard is like our main writing instrument tends to be piano
2: yeah
0: right so if I'm gonna write a song and just start writing, I'll tend to just do a, a like a bare piano patch and just do like a grand or some kind of nice. Yamaha type of piano or something and it's come up with an arrangement because that's kind of like an acoustic guitar if you're a songwriter you kind of start on your acoustic guitar you write something out and it's like so the piano is always like the base yes. of everything I usually do and then the synthesis will come in because I want to start grooving it into a into a song but the initial writing stage tends to start on piano so yeah because that's the more instrument, but
1: no, absolutely. And, and I, I like that approach the the best where you're starting on an instrument that's just stripped down. It's acoustic guitar, acoustic piano, and then you begin like kind of begin coloring the sound with different approaches, different pedals, stuff like that. And the pedal cues become part of the song. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think everybody comes up with different stuff. And so many people today, they, they, people start with groove boxes. They'll, they'll start with an 808 or a 909, or they'll start with, like, using, like, a sampler, and and I, I get that, and, and, like, I do have a Eurorack sampler uh, for make noise, other thing called a morphogene, but what I tend to do is, I, I tend to go and I sample, I'll sample, <laughs> so I'll go sample my Moog, and then put it into my sampler, and then clip it out.
1: Oh, that's pretty cool. And
0: then re- then rework the beat in the sampler. So I'll take an analog beat coming from a Moog drum machine, throw it into my sampler and then cl- splice it out and then play with reversing it or speeding up or morphing it and then redo the beat. And then sometimes I'll take an LFO from a Moog and have that trigger the sample with the LFO. And then I'll totally change the beat. Um, and so then you can like, take, take, you can kind of start with like farming your own sources to create your own stuff, you know, wow. without having to buy stuff from like, uh, Froody loops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: ex- exactly. It's, well, it's, it's like the saying, you know, it's, it's better. What What's better to, to give someone a fish or teach someone how to fish, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah it took me a while to figure out how to do that you know it's first time the first instinct with a sampler is to go sample somebody else's beat but then like you know the mechanics of having to pay for that beat become a pain in the yeah. ass so then i'm like and then i was like well, you know what why don't i use my own gear to like trigger stuff uh and, and sample stuff and and when you do that dude, you don't have to worry about paying anybody yeah <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that... And it's like a new, t- a lot of people are realizing that there's like a lot of samplers that will sample right to the keyboard. I mean, Roland has all these new samplers that will sample something from the keyboard. Like I'm a fan of new fandoms. You can take like anything in the keyboard you can just sample it and then bring it to the sampler and then start doing something with it. And so that, that, because a lot of people say like they don't want to pay the license. So it's, it's kind of being geared to like building your samples from the board. Yeah, which is another way, of, you know, kind of a cool way of doing it.
1: No, definitely, yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm definitely, definitely about like just doing it, doing it myself, like and trying to, you know, it's interesting because uh, for a while I tried to start like bands, and I would try to find musicians, and then after a while I just kind of realized that the sound I heard was too specific like kind of without being compromised i, I just began like kind of just like doing everything myself and it's like a similar process you're saying about like that not buying you know beats instead just like figuring out okay, i can make my own stuff you know what i mean
0: yeah i think a lot of people like i started to realize but i see a lot of rappers now are actually hip-hop guys are building their own beats just because they don't want to pay for the licenses um if they don't have the budget, yeah, um, and and you know, with all the drum machines today, you can't. You know, you, you you can go get an 808, you can get a 909, you get a 727, and you build your own beat. You know, you, you go get it like a, a new version of a Lin, and use that to build the beat. And you don't have to sample because you, you you can if you build it yourself, you're never going to have to pay. Even if you get close to somebody else's, you can you can you can change it enough. That you don't hit it, yeah. You know? and so uh, it's just more satisfying, and I think people they they get into the gear, they get into the NPCs. You know, you get into you know, all the different drum scents they're around today. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff you can build, and uh, you know, drum scents today are so powerful. And, you know, and they can control with pedals. And I've used them for live performance. I use them all the time. I I, I don't have a drummer. I've been using drum machines for like 10 years and it really, my analog drum machines give me a little, we sound more real than, than my digitals. But um, yeah, I mean, you can just, you can, you can actually do pretty good without, them. I love real drummers. And if I can play with a real drummer, I play with a real drummer, but uh, the drum machines today allow you to do a lot of cool stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, no, I, I definitely, definitely, um, I like it's it's been weird for me because like programming my own drums made me have an appreciation for like a real drummer even more especially like a very good drummer like the drummer's Space adaptation syndrome.
0: Yeah, your drummer's awesome. Like I can't match him. Well,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, it reminds me a lot of Stuart Copeland. There's like a there's like a density to what he's doing, but everything is like played like very. Play, play, and the symbol work is. I love playing with that guy. I love playing with I love playing with him and Amari Like I feel like we're all very like kindred spirits. It's just we're all very similar in our approach to things. It's just luckily we all play different instruments so we can all draw on the same page. We can just do it go in different directions, you know?
0: Well, that's the great thing about bands is everybody brings something. Like when I had bands, I would bring like I like 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 have like a Pete Townsend kind of idea. I I'd bring a complete demo to the band right and then like i'm sure the drummer's gonna do better than my drum right i'm sure the bass player is gonna do better than my bass so i'll bring the idea and it's like i'm sure you guys are gonna take it and use it as a, like a initial guide to what the song could oh be. yeah and then i'm gonna then let the whole band kind of take it over and if you rewrite the bassline because it works better it's like fine i don't care as long as like i can still feel the song whoever's going to bring it, I, mean, I expect every member of the band is going to bring something better yes. and make it better. And that's, that's the whole, when, when I'm in a band, that's what I love about being in a band is like everybody brings their talent to the stage and then it becomes like something else than what the demo was. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, they're, they're almost like actors and it's like the demo, it's the same process for space adaptation where I'll come up with like a, like a drum pattern and I'll show it to Dimitri and he turns into something he fleshes it out so much like he's it really is like a like what they say like it is when you have a when you bring a script to a very very good actor it's like he yeah, yeah. he takes it in a totally different direction it's always like a million times better than i could comprehend it even mean you know
0: yeah that's the thing is like when i'm by myself like i do what i can do with all my stuff but if i when i go and i go on tour and i bring a guitar player or i bring a drummer the songs open up to what they could be you know yeah and so you know i I like i like my kind of single the solo version of my stuff it's unique but then when i actually bring a band together then it actually fleshes out it's kind of like what prince used to do i mean everything he just used to do everything but then when these bands went on stage they, they would take it yes and and kind of flesh it out yeah and, uh, you know, that's what that's what it is. I mean, if you're using a Lin and then you actually go out with a real drummer, it's going to get more dynamic than what the Lin can yes. do. <laughs> you know, and that's that's kind of like, OK, the Lin version's cool, but the live version's cool, too. So it's like both versions are cool. It's just kind of different, different, different day, different band, different sound.
1: Yeah, well, it's like a, it's like an adaptation. And um, it, for me, it's it's kind of like like I said, going back to the script thing. Every time I've written like uh, demos in the night it's um, it. How do I put this? It's it, it's like the band is like being the song is being born in a way. The song is like having a spirit. Yeah, yeah. It's being adapted. It's like a. It, it's like if I wrote like a screenplay and then all of a sudden like um I'm the the director. I wrote the screenplay. I'm seeing the the movie come to life before my eyes. You know, it's 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 you know it's amazing. You know.
0: I think that's the great thing. I love, you know, this year I've only been able to collaborate like, uh, one time I did this new thing is coming out where I collaborated with this Canadian poet yeah. and she, uh, um, yeah. she does this kind of dark spoken word, kind of like, I like a Nico. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I kind, of, I kind of gravitated to her cause she's doing all this kind of gothic kind of dark poetry. And I said, wow, this will fit with my, my tones. And, uh, and we kind of collaborated, and she's she's not a musician at all. She's just a poet, but she she had to kind of find the groove with her, you know, because she had never really worked with with a with a musician. She had just done spoken word by herself, and so then then we kind of had to figure out well how are we gonna fit her style into my music, or well, how I'm gonna fit into her pattern, and then we figured it out, and it's like it's really cool to to kind of have have that feeling I, I love doing that kind of work I, I from time to time i link up with big bands or poets or people and and do stuff and it ends up being different than what i normally do and it's always always interesting yes yeah. <clears throat> so you guys are you guys working on this i'm probably gonna have to wrap it up in the next like uh 10 minutes or i'll kick out again but um are you guys working on more singles for
1: 2021 so uh for 2021 we have uh, a full album projected for um, space adaptation syndrome um yeah and uh yeah we like i said me and amari we put out uh, an album with this side project called pro fool it's uh bleak psychedelia um and then yeah and that you can find that on spotify and that's um very he- heavily influenced by by Joy Division. We were we were talking about them earlier. It's got a lot of goth you know qualities, especially with the instrumentals. Um, and then this.
0: Ooh, I'm gonna have to push that the, one. I'll put the link for that on this. Yeah,
1: one. yeah, it. I think you'll like that one a lot. It's um, it's I'm very I'm very proud of how it came out. And then the Space Adaptation Syndrome album. Um, we're gonna be my my girlfriend's also gonna be on the album as well, along with me, uh, Dimitri and Mary, and she sings and. Uh, you know her, her primary language is german so we're gonna be having um a lot of uh uh we're gonna be having like a lot of like beautiful like lush like like german like like vocal passages along with like amari's lyrics and it's interesting seeing like the interplay between the two and that's gonna be on the space adaptation syndrome album um
0: oh, that sounds good i mean yeah when you guys are ready to put that out maybe we do an album release episode yes um definitely push it so when you guys let me know when's coming and we can kind of sync it up that we do the album release episode like right when it comes out
1: you know? yeah no th- i think that'd be fantastic and we can get you know all four of us all four of us on there and um, she puts out her own music as well um and uh me and me we've done uh there's another side project that we have called the other jam podcast and we've done some stuff with her we've done some stuff with amari on there And, um, that's basically sometimes we'll adapt some of our songs live on there so like people can watch it and yeah,
0: that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to open up to like a, like a video podcast format. Like I said, I'm, I'm invested in some cameras and green screens and like a Roland video mixer. So like the Roland video mixer I'm getting ready to get can do like three cameras at once plus a background on a green screen. And so I'm working on um, create, creating like a new type of podcast where I might uh, do a video podcast through like StreamYard and then have the ability to like, uh, you know, bring in uh, a band like playing, you know. Oh, yeah. Actually play like you're saying and, and, and do an interview and actually have you play a song and do it on video and, uh, and also be able to do performances like, from my own home studio with multiple camera angles and stuff and then actually have other people kind of be in in on it too so yeah i'm working on some stuff for next year so that'd be cool no
1: i'd love to see that i think that'd be that'd be fantastic if you ever want us to to be on there just you know let us know we'll do.
0: Oh, yeah yeah i tried it out with a couple of bands this year but i had some latency issues and i wanted to get some better equipment um so I'm, i put it on pause for my video i did like five video podcast episodes on StreamYard, and I just didn't like the quality so i'm I'm, I'm trying to get uh, like a different vendor a different thing so I'm working on it so but yeah that's that's on my list for next year to do that so yeah, I would let you guys know when I'm ready to do it and uh we'll see if we can get you guys in on it
1: yeah no, that sounds yeah. Awesome. that sounds awesome
0: yeah it'll be cool you guys you, I like your vibe I think you guys would do awesome on it so I think that yeah if you guys got a way to do the performance and get capture on video and I can get it integrated into the signal. We could do a couple of test runs to see how it works. Um, once I get it going. And if you guys are cool with it, we could do it. Um, yeah, that's cool for next year, definitely. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, that'll be awesome.
0: Well, I let you guys go. This has been a cool episode. We're getting it's near the end of the year, and uh, you guys have a happy new year, and I look forward to your work and we'll put this out. It's probably gonna come out like uh, in and in like in a couple hours, just because it's kind of a long episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I I'll, I'll give you the link once I get it um, all compiled.
1: Yes, and it, it's always a pleasure, man. We I, like we enjoy like like talking, man. Just like picking your brain on music, like talking about music. And you know, thank you for having us. It, it means a lot. And, you know, Happy New Year. Hope hopefully, twenty twenty one will be better for everybody. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I hope I can actually go to Europe because I got a booking agent. And then suddenly we have banned.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I don't.
0: I actually had an agent that could get me to like Berlin and London, and then suddenly, nobody could go. Into well, Britain. I'll be I'll be probably <laughs> meeting you in
1: Berlin. That's where uh, that's where my girlfriend lives. I've I've been trying to I've been uh, waiting for COVID to die down so we can actually you know see each other. You know, with COVID, it's it's, it's tough, man. You know, so yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. Cause I mean, I've been wanting, like, I got family in Barbados. Cause my wife's from Barbados and we haven't been able to see them. Um, and so, like, like we haven't been able to do any of the stuff we wanted to do internationally this year at all. And we're like, oh, yeah, you know, but hopefully 2021 we get past that. We'll get back on the road.
2: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Hey guys, have
0: a good new year and uh, be safe. And I'm looking forward to your new project. And I'll, I'll look at your, um uh, the other pro call um, four Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to put that link on this. Awesome. So, okay, cool. I got go to go. Okay, cool, man. You guys have a good time.
1: You too, man. Take care. All right, thank you. you.
0: Yeah. Okay, bye. Peace. See you.